point is, the end result is the same. Duty calls. I have searched the world over before you. That is so cool. You guys all just have this really tight bond. Just call me the computer whisperer. He seemed so nice and normal. You don't want to come back to my place? That smell makes me nauseous. I thought it was going to be a slow night. It's fucking fantastic. I love that sound. Can we go now? Welcome to Beer with Buffy, everyone. I'm Josh. I'm Rex. And we also have a very special guest today. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Em from Verbal Dioramas. Very pleased to meet you. <laughs> and today on Beer with Buffy, we're going to be reviewing episode seven of season five, Fool for Love. Yes. Yay. And uh, <laughs> so M, just hang tight with us. We're going to do our, our normally our normal opening spiel. And then we are going to focus solely on you. We're going to. Oh, crikey. OK. <laughs> if you must. We're going to hover that magnifying glass right over the ant until you crack and burn. <laughs> Um, or, you know, we'll be a little nicer than that. I don't know. But, hey, Rex, do you have a big list of doodle-doos to read off for us? I do. Executive ones, if you please. So, we have our list of executive producers, Jay Sommer, Paul Dahlheimer, Christina, Lauren Jewell, Catherine Parkinson, Karen Moon, Chris V-Man, Catrick J. Furr, Hilly Hilfman, Scarlett Choi, Janella Lindauer, Simo Pinty, Meredith McCaslin, Rose Clark, C in quotes, Heaps, Andy Burgess, K. Fronome, Father DeFenestrato, Methuen DeBurr, Kelly McAdams, Shuby Pathic, Jesse Rain, and Carrie Phillips. Thank you so much. Without you, this show literally isn't possible. He's not exaggerating, not even a little bit. Hey, those are all of our super special, extra amazing doodle-doos. If you want to be just a normal, average, run-of-the-mill doodle-doo, you don't have to give us money. <laughs> all you have to do is jump onto the iTunes and uh, give us a review. Yes. Because that is one of the best ways that you can help us at all. And it's totally free. And as thanks, we will send you one free sticker. Yeah. All you have to do is email us. Or message us, however you can find, you know, throughout the multitude of ways that you have to contact us. You can even call us at 269-743-0783 and just uh, give us an address that you trust us with. So, yeah, as you heard earlier, we have a very, very special guest today. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome probably the politest person we may have ever had on this podcast. <laughs> I mean, she's only the fourth person that's ever been on this podcast, but this is well, for starters, a real British person who's also a woman who also has her very own amazing podcast called Verbal Diorama. Coming at you from the other side of the pond, M. And uh, apparently, I don't, I don't know, do you have a last name, M? Or do you just go by M? I'm, I'm like the uh, Beyonce of podcasting. So uh, ah. I, I, I like the, the mononymous life, to be honest. I knew it. I knew it. Pop stars and popes. Those are the one name guys. <laughs> <laughs> and literally anything to associate myself to Beyonce. That is that is the only link I have to Beyonce. It's the only link it's I'm going to take. It's also a perfect Angel reference. That's something that Kate says in uh, in Angel. So, so M. Yes. Would you like to do the honors of the summoning? Uh, do, you, do you even know what he means by the, uh, the summoning? I think... <laughs> <laughs> Once every episode of Beer with Buffy, there is a chosen one. Well, it's 
it's kind of the same person every time, but <laughs> nobody really wants them there. And you all know exactly who she is. Come on, Em. Come on. You know who it is. Is it me? Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the, it's the mom synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. But you were saying about she's the chosen one, etc. You chose me to come on this podcast. I'm a girl. And... Yeah. Technically, technically, I am the same age as Buffy. So, no. you know, it, it could have been me. <laughs> no, I said it's the one that nobody wants here. Oh. Everybody wants you here. Yes. Oh, oh okay. Well, I mean, you, you might not want me here after this episode goes out. Who knows? <laughs> you might be deleting me from the records completely. Uh, be expulging me. <laughs> hey, Josh. It's time for the mum synopsis. Oh, jeez, we bring you onto our show. Uh, we ask you to talk about Buffy, and this is what you do to me. <laughs> Joshua! What are you doing, Joshua? Oh, just freaking out over doing all of my British and Irish impressions in front of a real British person today is all. Well, that's nice, honey. Can you fix my computer? <laughs> no, I can't. Uh, what's wrong with it? What's it doing? It's not turning on! It's not plugged in! Where do I plug it in, Joshua? I don't know where or how to do these things, Joshua! Holy hell, I'm scraping past by the skin of my dick here, Mom! I don't need to hear about your penis problems, Joshua, and I don't think your British friend does either. Wait, you said she's a lady, right? No, Mom, it's not like that. You're never getting grandchildren. Shut up. Do I at least get Do I at least get a free computer repair, man? No. Well, Buffy gets a free medical treatment from one boy and a pat on her back from the nice blonde boy with the shotgun. What do I get? I could probably rustle up a shotgun. <laughs> Is that a threat, Joshua? <laughs> so today on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Buffy gets a bit frazzled when she slips up during a routine vampire calling and gets gut shot by her own stake. Riley patches her up, and he and the Scoobies take over her patrol. Meanwhile, Buffy goes on a mission to learn what she did wrong so she can never let it happen again. She turns to Spike, the vampire who killed two slayers, who for the low, low price of some spicy buffalo wings gives her a couple proper lessons on what it's like being a vampire fighting the slayer. But the awkward comforting pat on the back is totally free after Buffy finds out her mother is going back to the hospital for a CAT scan. The end. Wow. <laughs> That's it. That's really it. I know, right? There's not much I, to this. I feel, I feel so like you've, you've missed out so much. <laughs> well, that's why it's a synopsis. Okay. Okay. And, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's why fine. we go scene by scene. Right? Yeah, we save the, the goody details for later. Ladies, gentlemen, spiny-headed little creatures. As soon as the sun goes down, down, down. Alrighty, let's get into it. We open in a graveyard. Dun dun dun. Uh, yeah, before we actually get started on the show, 
I just wanted to bring up that, uh, so, yeah, Em, the main reason we asked uh, to have you on the show was we've had uh, a lot of requests by our fans for more female input, and, uh, you know, you seem particularly qualified to do that. <laughs> I uh, considering... seem particularly female, thanks! <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, considering that you have excellent taste and skill in reviewing all kinds of films, but also you are particularly female, yes. Uh... <laughs> well, I like to think I am. <laughs> You may as well have said, why you got to take it to the sexist place, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't blame you. Um, <laughs> it's like you've listened to our podcast. Oh, wait, you have. I mean, I, I'm not, I don't mean to be rude, but um, I did want to point out that I feel like Beer with Buffy is, is very much a sausage fest. Um, and I feel like there does need to be uh, a balance to proceedings. You know, like and Thanos says in Endgame, you know, everything perfectly balanced, you know, like all things should be. And I feel like I'm here to bring the gender balance to one single episode of Beer with Buffy out of like the other kind of 144 episodes of Buffy, apart from that other one where you also had a lady on but otherwise, I mean, we're, we're talking like full on sausage fest, aren't we? So, yeah, I, uh, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't have said I mean, it better myself. In fact, I was going to use the exact phrase sausage fest at some <laughs> point during this recording and you beat me to it. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you know what you are. <laughs> yes, well, and, we we are know. rude. We do mean to be rude, but not to you because you're so polite and nice. <laughs> And, uh, and I know you're not being rude. You're being very objective. And I knew you would be. <laughs> no, I mean, to beer with Buffy. It's it's kind of something that we've always wanted to take into account when when doing this is that, you know, we are two cis white men. And, you know, it's kind the fandom is kind of not for us. <laughs> and the conversation that we're having about this show is kind of not for us. But in a way, we want to make it so that other people like us can look at the show in a way that they can better themselves with uh, acknowledging the the own toxicity of it and the toxicity mm -hmm. of ourselves. And I think that's important. Yeah. Know? No, I, I completely agree. I, I I disagree to an extent saying that it's it's not for you because I feel like Buffy as an entity, it is for everyone, really. Um, I've always kind of felt, and that's one of the reasons why I love Buffy so much, is that it is a show that everyone can enjoy and appreciate, regardless of your gender or whatever, whatever. Um, but, you know, this is a show about a woman. <laughs> so, yes, I do feel like I am mostly qualified um, I, I cannot speak for all womankind. Unfortunately, I am not the queen of all women. Uh, because that's Beyonce, as we've already discussed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I do have a couple if Beyonce of questions. Beyonce was out. here. Um, were you one of the individuals who was fortunate enough to actually watch the show as it originally aired? Sort of. And the reason I say sort of is because here in the UK, we got Buffy a little bit later. So I right. think it was the following year that Buffy started airing over here. So that would be like 98. So I probably started watching maybe in like 
98, I can't remember exactly, but I do remember that it used to air on BBC Two. Um, and it was like 6pm in the evening. So you'd get back from school or college or whatever and, uh, and Buffy would be on. And I never watched it like sequentially. So right. it wasn't, it was just something that I caught if it was on. Oh, I'd watch an episode. Oh, I really enjoy this. But it wasn't like, oh, I need to watch the next one. I need to watch the next one. That came later. So watching it sequentially from start to finish came much later. Right. But yeah, it was something that I used to kind of dip into every so often. And just like really appreciated it for for what it was. And yeah, the fact that this relatively normal young woman is the slayer and the, essentially the saviour of all mankind. I mean, right. what, what, what young woman doesn't want to sit and watch that? <laughs> no, absolutely. It's, it's I mean, the, the entire reason that it became popular was that it had a certain touch of empowerment that you know, oh, absolutely. wasn't seen in most any TV up until that point. And, you know, that's it, yeah, one of the things exactly. that makes it iconic, I think. And I, yeah. I, I want to take another, I want to take a guess at the other thing that you're getting at here, Rex. Uh, Rex has been really wanting to know other people's experiences who were able to watch season five without any prior knowledge of what the hell is going on with Dawn. Yeah. How did that work out for you? Did you, did, so- <laughs> did Dawn's origins end up getting ruined for you or did you get that revealed the way that the show intended it to be? So I do remember watching episodes with Dawn in. But like I say, because I probably wasn't really watching it sequentially at the time, Uh it was, I remember it being especially weird. Because all of a sudden, Buffy has a sister. Right. And you're like, where has this kid come from? Exactly. It was was very much a, I I kind of don't get it. Like, is this like some, like, adopted sister? Or, you know, like, where has this child who's like... Is it just really bad writing? Are they that desperate for a new character? What is going on? (laughs) And as as time progressed, uh, and and obviously after I saw season five, and I have so much time for season five of Buffy. I mean, I've got so much time for a lot of seasons of Buffy. To be fair, Uh, the only seasons of Buffy that I'm kind of a bit middling on are one and seven, but they've still got some great things in them. But five, I love five for so many reasons and as the show's kind of progressed and i've i've gone back and i've revisited the you know all of the seasons several times since right i've actually grown to appreciate dawn so much more than i did yeah honestly i'm having the same kind of experience with this this watch through that we're doing because you know being able to look at the show in a more analytical sense rather than just binging through it in one go I, it allows me the opportunity to consider and appreciate in a way that I wasn't able to do before. And yeah, completely agree on that. Dawn brings something that the show kind of lacked before she showed up. It, it's almost like, and this is a really weird word, but it feels a little bit like, because obviously the show is, well, essentially, the Buffy has always been a metaphor for, for growing up. Right. So, you know, you have the earlier seasons where it's all the high school is hell stuff, kind of going into the more serious later seasons where they talk about death and they talk about depression and, you know, all of these really serious topics. But I feel like with Dawn specifically, Dawn is, she is kind of this symbol of innocence. 
and it's an innocence that Buffy herself has, has kind of lost in a little bit of a weird way, you know. And and I, I feel very much like Dawn is like a level of intimacy with Buffy that's different to any other relationship that Buffy has on the show. And obviously Dawn is so integral and important to season five. You know, she she is kind of, she is the catalyst for season five. So, right. but I feel like introducing a sister to Buffy gives Buffy this additional layer of emotional complexity because she has this other person to look out for. You know, she has all of these issues with her mum being ill and all of that stuff going into hospital. If it was just Buffy on her own dealing with that, it would be different. But Buffy has a responsibility. Mm-hmm. And it, it's all about growing up. It's all about, you know, those, those kind of periods of your life when you do grow up and you get these responsibilities. And that's what Dawn is. Dawn is Buffy's responsibility. And I actually really like that about this season and kind of going on to later seasons, even though Dawn becomes a little bit more independent and gets, you know, gets other things kind of going on and gets a little bit of a life of her own. Yeah. Um, th- there's always going to be that tie between them because, you know, regardless of where Dawn's from or how she was made, you know, she is her sister. You and know, I think that's a really important relationship for Buffy to have. You know, now, now that you mention it, it does occur to me that the emotions of Buffy dealing with, Joyce's sickness come off a lot better with having Dawn there than I think they could without Dawn there. Like, it would be more of a solitary, you know, struggle for Buffy rather than this co-joined struggle that she has with her little sister because her, you know, Buffy can't afford to be the the emotional girl that her sister Mm -hmm. gets to be because her sister's a young teenager. And it allows kind of a way for Buffy's internal emotions to be even more visible externally with Dawn being very emotional and and Buffy having to struggle with that emotion and her own emotion and being the responsible one and being an adult Mm. uh, sooner than she's really ready. And yeah, I think without Dawn, I don't think Joyce's sickness would have hit nearly as well. Right? No. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. Also, my God, I wish we'd done this a long time ago because... <laughs> I Okay, I'm about to out myself as a really bad reviewer, but you just completely changed my perspective on Buffy the Vampire Slayer in general just by saying... You're like, it's obviously a metaphor for growing up. And I'm like, wait, what? It's it's not literally about vampires and demons. This is really upsetting. (laughs) And I. Shit. Sorry, spoiler alert. (laughs) One moment of thinking about that, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, high school is hell. And uh, oh, shit. Uh, (laughs) No, that is fantastic. Everything you just said. Um, gold and thank you. <laughs> we, we should have done this a long time ago. Yes. Um. <laughs> I mean, that, that's literally, I'm not even joking, come off the top of my head. I haven't even got that written down. So, hey. <laughs> I mean, clearly, clearly I'm, you know, reasonably okay. Um, one thing that I did just want to add um, to what Rex just said about, about Dawn and how Buffy deals with loss and the fact that she has to be the strong person in this family. You know, she is now the matriarch of the family. And I think that's really interesting because I feel like her internalising a lot of her pain and grief and sadness kind of pushes her a little bit towards Spike. 
and and then it kind of opens up all of this kind of really delicious uh, which we're going to obviously go into because this is yeah. a very spike centric episode and I'm so ready to talk about the deliciousness that is spike oh but, yes <laughs> but I think you know all of this stuff going on in season five I I just think it's so supremely clever but ultimately this is all you know, excellent setup for what's going to happen at the end of season five, especially um, the villain of season five. Um, and also going into season six and everything that happens in season six with Buffy basically becoming so, um, you know, intrinsically linked to Spike that that's the only relationship that she feels she can get something out of. I think it's all linked, basically. I have so many theories. Uh, I mean, there is a song about that in season six about having theories. Right. I'm not going to sing it, but um... <laughs> it could be demons. It yeah, could be something isn't right there. <laughs> Must be bunnies. Uh, yes, <laughs> but bunnies aren't cute like everyone supposes. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, let, let let's try they to get into them the... happy feet and twitch it little nose. Okay, before we get sued by Fox or you know. Disney. Disney now, <laughs> which they're more likely to sue. Yeah. And more, you know, legally capable. Yes. Uh, let, <laughs> let's actually get into the episode, uh, as this is going to be a long episode to begin with. Well, this guy wants to fight with weapons. I've got it covered from A to Z. From axe to the other axe. I'm fairly certain I said no interruptions. Uh, we open on the graveyard where Buffy is fighting by far the most punk vampire that we've encountered yet. Well, since the hairband Klingons, yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, she's running her mouth. She's a little overconfident. A little bit. About how bad this vampire smells. And uh, she gets a little stabby stabby in the stomach with her own steak. Yeah. Vampire kind of gets a little bit lucky, but he also has some good moves and stabs her in the stomach. And, you know, causes her to go into the opening credits suddenly. <laughs> That's how hard he stabbed her. Right into the opening credits. I mean, I hate it when that happens. <laughs> yeah, that steak can't be sanitary. I no. hope she carries Neosporin around with her. Um, well, uh, Riley Well, she takes probably care of doesn't because she doesn't, you know, get stabbed very often. So she wouldn't worry about that. Right. Yeah. Anyway, I think she's just having an off day. But yeah. uh, after the opening sequence... Buffy pulls the stake right out. I mean, I can't say I blame her. I can't recommend it either, but, you know, between... Aren't you supposed to keep it in if, if you get impaled? Is yes. the point that you're supposed to keep it in? That is you exactly... To stop blood loss. Right, yeah, but... <laughs> I mean, really, though, between bleeding and... Between bleeding out and running with a stake sticking out of your abdomen, I think I'd choose bleeding out as well. I don't, have Has anybody here ever tried running just with a backpack on? It's really <laughs> awkward. I, th I thought you were has anyone tried running with a stake in their abdomen? And I was going to say, well, last Tuesday, funny story. Go on. <laughs> yes, so, we, though, we also get impaled on a regular basis. It, it seems to me that if you're fighting a vampire, vampires are incredibly attracted to blood. You know, they want to drink it. That's basically like, I don't know, like... 
being with someone I, I'm just I, for some reason I've got donuts um, in my head <laughs> I don't know why but that's like smashing a donut against your stomach and expecting no one to want to lick it off you you know it just seems, <laughs> seems a bit ridiculous really um, because that vampire is going to want the blood that's coming out of the wound that she's just pulled the steak out of so also I mean, yeah. you're, it's kind of like a homing beacon for a vampire well, specifically the donut from Dracula versus Buffy uh, that, was yes. a, that was a bloody looking donut. Yeah. <laughs> oh, do you know what? I listened to your episode on Buffy versus Dracula, by the way, because um, that's another one of my. I love that episode. Genuinely adore it. I think it's so underrated. Um, I think it's super fun. But um, yeah, I sorry, I haven't got anything to add. I just wanted to say. No, that's fine. <laughs> that's okay. I was jokingly going to ask you to clarify. Wait, you mean the episode of Buffy or the episode of Beer with Buffy? I know you were talking about the episode of Buffy. It's okay. Um. <laughs> oh, damn it. You caught me. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, she starts to run from the vampire. He cuts her off. She looks like she's in real trouble until Riley saves the day. Good old Riley. Oh, Riley. <laughs> Do we need to talk about Riley? Just a big old Boy Scout. You know what? We can talk about whatever we want because we're adults here. <laughs> you know what, Em? Okay. Guess what? You get to be an adult too today. Oh, wow. I mean, that's never happened. I'm, all, I'm like the eternal child. Uh, I'm like the childlike empress from Neverending Story. Like, constantly child. Um, but no, this is great. So... I don't like Riley. <laughs> it's not... It's Riley has really good points. Don't get me wrong. Um, I just never liked the fact that he seems to have this very kind of toxic version of like the hyper-masculinity. Yep. Like he has to always be better than Buffy. Mm -hmm. um, he always has to kind of um, prove himself to Buffy. And Buffy's like, look, my dude... I like you. I don't really care if you can't like slay vampires and, you know, demons and stuff because I like you for who you are, you know. But he's like, oh, no, I need to be really tough and I need to be better than my girl. But that, And that's kind of the impression that I get of Riley. I'm sorry, that's a terrible impression of Riley. I don't, I'm not no, I thought it was pretty good. Sounds like no, it, it's solid. Spot on. It's solid. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, he just always kind of seems very jealous and insecure. And I will say that I can I can deal with season four, Riley, to a degree. Season five, Riley, is the worst. However, because obviously he patches her up in this episode, like, I'll give him credit for that. But the whole kind of, I'm going to blow up a load of vampires in a crypt. I'm just like, you, like, yeah, seriously, I, do you have like a really small penis? Like, do you really feel like you have to make I got lots some sort to of say point? about that as well. I really, I, I do. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll no, get, we'll get there. And I think he's going to get his comeuppance. He's, he's sowing some seeds with that one. Yeah. And they're setting that up for the next episode. I think for Buffy to chew his ass out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, I completely agree. He is very, the embodiment of toxic masculinity, but he's, he's also got this really nice, cool, sweet side to him that, really masks that toxic masculinity really exactly. well but it's, it's still there and yes. it's and not to be ignored and no you're absolutely right and we've we've been giving riley a lot of love um recently and we've just been waiting for somebody to really put us in our place because i know there's a lot of people <laughs> out there that don't like riley and we're as men who grew up with 
uh, very, very toxic surroundings, sometimes it's hard for us to see the toxicity when it's masked so well like Riley's is. But that's the thing. Sorry, just just to kind of say that that's exactly the thing is I kind of feel like a lot of guys and and this is a very sweeping generalization and I do apologize for that. I definitely don't mean every single man in the whole world, but I feel like a lot of guys kind of they can be very toxic, but they mask that with, oh, but I'm a really nice guy. And I'm like, okay, but saying that you're a really nice guy or are acting occasionally like you're a really nice guy and then doing things that are belittling yeah. to people around you, especially to women, you know, I it just kind of proves that you're not. You're just saying you're a nice guy. And that's how I feel about Riley. Exactly. Yes, he's got oh, yeah. he's got good points. Don't get me wrong. I don't think he's evil. Um he's not like she irons her jeans evil. You know, he's not like that <laughs> level of evil. But it's just yeah, I've I've always kind of felt a little bit off with him and and i think this episode really sums that up he's really kind and sweet to her he bandages up her wound and everything and then after and then later on in the episode he's like no i need to be really tough now and i'm just like come on well i mean he'd be a psychopath if he didn't bandage up her wounds right be like (laughs) okay you lose boyfriend status in fact you might lose (laughs) human status just get out if he didn't at least do that that's like bare minimum, <laughs> I feel. This is true. This is kind of an aside, something I've actually realized on a personal level uh, recently. I have very few cis male friends at this point in my life. Josh being the closest uh, cis male friend that I have. And the, uh, the other three people that I would consider my closest friends after Josh are trans or non-binary or cis women. And basically, I've just learned that I don't, as a rule, like other cis men, particularly cis white men, because there's always, always, always this undertone of toxicity to everything. And it's inescapable because we are all raised in it. And like, even we have those moments where. You know, you, you step back and you're like, holy shit, that's awful of me. Why the fuck am I doing yeah. that? And I still struggle with that constantly in uh, all of my jobs. I, I still have to maintain a level of it, of being toxic, a part of me that I know that I hate. I literally could not survive and make a living without understanding how to interact with other men that are like that. And it's disgusting and I hate it, but that is a reality for a lot of people. Yep, yep. I I feel very much like that I, I mean, not, not all cis white men are that way. You know, I've certainly, you know, through podcasting and stuff, I've been exposed to so many different people with so many different backgrounds Mm -hmm. and I love it like I genuinely love it I live in a very small town in the middle of the UK and (laughs) and so I don't get the chance to uh experience all sorts of different people because it's it's a small town like people you, you just don't so I feel like I'm getting that experience from podcasting from talking to different podcasters from getting all of these different opinions and and learning myself um you know as a, a, a cis white woman learning about all of these different people all of mm-hmm. their different viewpoints and really kind of 
at least trying to understand their situation, um, even though it's obviously a situation that I, I've not been in myself. Right. But I want to learn. You know, I, I want to be the person who is kind of willing and able and, and, and ready to learn about uh, what it what it is like for a trans person or what it is like for a person of colour. I know that I have a certain level of privilege, you know, being a, a cis white woman. And I want to know the experiences of other people so I can actually be a, a better person, you know, within myself. And I feel right. like if any kind of cis white person, you know, whether they're male or female or whatever, if they are willing to actually listen to people instead of kind of you know doing the general kind of cis white thing and thinking that they know everything or talking over those people or just assuming things about those people if you actually take a moment to actually listen really listen to what people are saying about their experiences of being non-binary or being trans or being lgbtq or a person of color or whatever or in a worse way assuming that we understand what they deal with yes yeah especially Uh, that (laughs) yeah especially that and i feel like yes we will never truly understand what it's like for um a person of color we will never understand what it was like for them growing up with with racism and and all of that we will never understand that as a white person because of our level of white privilege Mm -hmm. But if we can actually, I know I've realised this has gone really off topic. Um, uh, you're okay. But yeah, I just think it's so important to to actually listen and and learn. But most importantly, listen and most importantly, learn. If you know what I mean. Um, and, and to th- bring to bring it back to the episode, um, to specifically call out people like Riley who have a really really stellar facade. Right. Yeah. But I just wanted to say real quick, that is that is absolutely beautiful motivation for getting into podcasting. And I couldn't agree more. And uh, I, I think we can all say that we're in the same boat there. We just want to oh, understand yeah. and we just wanted to meet new people. And, it, you know, it's hard to do that physically these days. Traveling is expensive. And don't get me started on COVID. Um, <laughs> and yeah, no, that's perfectly but relevant. I, I, I don't even think that's that far that- off topic. Say no, what? no, no. But I, I appreciate the fact that, you know, as as you two guys, you know, as uh, a cis white men, that you're you're kind of acknowledging the fact that, you know, maybe you have in the past kind of thought differently. But now you're actually at least trying to make amends is kind of the wrong word. It's kind of the wrong phrase that I'm thinking of. But you know what I mean? Like, you're you don't actually... need to even correct yourself. I no, I what you said about uh, not all men, but most men. Yeah, we absolutely both completely agree with you. That is absolutely 100% true. Most men to the point where when women say all men, it's, it's close enough. You know, the yeah. this is a response I've started having to the, the whole, oh, it's not all men bullshit. And it's like, no, no. It is all men, because I do consider myself one of the cis white men who is really, really trying to to pull away from that toxicity. But it's still there. It's still there. I still see it every day, a little hints of it. And it's like, yeah, I work really hard to not be like that. But I'm still on some level a little bit like that. And it is, in fact, all men on some level 
It's just, you know, I I don't want to sweep, I don't want to generalise, you know, I don't want to say, oh, it's definitely all men, but uh, but all men are are responsible for that change. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I, uh, as a woman, you know, I'm responsible for change as well. Yeah. Um, But, you know, everyone kind of needs to stand up and say, there is a problem here with this toxicity and, and we need to do something about it. But mostly that needs to come from men. Yep. Men need to do something about that. Yep. Um, but I, I really don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want to sweep in generalisation and I certainly don't want you guys to kind of be, oh, well, she's hating on all men here. Uh, <laughs> no, certainly not. But- <laughs> and I I just wanted to clarify earlier when I was talking about toxicity in the, in the workplace that I have to deal with, I was in no way excusing that toxicity, only saying that it's a separate thing that I have to yeah. deal with and not necessarily trying to be like, Oh, woe is me, so much as trying to say the problem runs way deeper oh, than I think a lot so, of people so realize. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would, I try really hard every day to get away from it and to not buy into it, not to play into it, but still have to to a degree. And, you know, I just wanted to say I'm, I'm one of the ones that is out there legitimately trying and fighting to make it better every day. Yeah. Sa- I mean, same here. And you're what? Shocked and disappointed? I'm evil. You should know better. You should know better than attempt the fate of the face of the world. That was pathetic. You should know better. You should know better than attempt the fate of the face of the world. There's a lot more with that. Yeah, fantastic day. Birds singing. Squirrels making lots of rotten little squirrels. Okay, so the next... After Riley saves the day, they cut to... I'm assuming the next morning in Buffy's room where Riley's patching up her wound and he's urging her to go to the hospital. He's playing doctor on the Buffy kebab, if you will. <laughs> oh, Riley. Hasn't anyone ever told you not to play with your food? <laughs> oh, God. What a rebel. I appreciate that about him, at least. I like that he urges her to go to the hospital, but I'm a little miffed at her for being like, oh, no, I can't go to the hospital. Mom will freak out. I, I Okay. I can understand a little bit of that logic, but also... Yeah, she's starting to do the same thing that Joyce does, though. Right? Exactly. Minimizing. Like, I can't take care of myself because other people will worry. Yeah. That's not an okay line of logic. <laughs> and, I don't know, no, maybe... No, it's, it's, it's not, but... I was just going to say... Think... <laughs> I was gonna... Can, can well, you give us I'm... some insight on that? As a woman... Uh, no, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't think it's a, it's a purely female thing to, uh, to not want to go to the hospital. But I feel like in her specific line of work, I feel like that would um, draw some additional questions from authorities. Um, I don't think it's purely just for her mother. I feel like that's just a line to placate Riley. Um, I feel like Buffy is fully aware of the situation she's in. Um, They've talked, you know, in this in this show, they talk about going to the police. Um, I think it's like back in season two, they mention, oh, let's go to the police. And it's like, well, what, what can the police do? Like, police can do nothing. Um, Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I'm, I'm but, just curious but, as to why in the hell at this point in time, Buffy's been doing this for years. She hasn't lined up like some back alley vet who wants to like, you know, make a little money on the side of patching up people. Come on. But she's she's never been in this situation before, though. This is the first time she's been bested by a vampire. So it's the first time she's been injured. So I, I kind of think that Buffy, 
she's maybe getting a little bit cocky. And that, I think that's part yeah. of the reason why she is bested because she's too busy quipping. She's too busy flipping, you know, quipping and flipping as you do. <laughs> and uh, did that last Tuesday as well. That's another story. Um, but, oh, is that what you led know, to you getting impaled? <laughs> <laughs> is I that mean, just I, what happens I, when you, you quip and flip too much? You get impaled? Like that's the direct consequence? I mean, it happened to Buffy, and I can neither confirm or deny that it happened to me. All right. Well, we, we need the uh, full story later. We're going to make that a bonus episode. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, Riley's a bit surprised that it was only one vampire, which, you know, as as you said, yeah, Buffy seems to be getting a bit cocky. Not only cocky, but also I think she's missing a step because she's worried about her mother. She's worried about Joyce. Oh, yeah. Like that's mm-hmm. that's a whole hitch in the in the process. Yeah, but Riley's like, so he was a some sort of super vampire, huh? Nope, just some normal shit turd. Well, damn. <laughs> and so clearly, Dawn's been drinking the Kool Aid here because she comes in all, oh yeah. By the way, uh, mom's coming, and how's the sex? <laughs> <laughs> Probably a bad pairing of phrases there, but you get the point. Anyway, so Joyce barges in as well. Door pre Kool Aided for her, and she's. <laughs> Very doors. Positively chipper. <laughs> everything's fine. Everything's fine. Uh, but no, really, we need to go over next week's grocery list. It's an emergency. And I'm like, wait, next week's grocery list? I can't concentrate on this week's grocery list. Just go in and buy things. What's the deal, Joyce? What? You don't uh, spontaneously impulse buy your food for the week? What the fuck? <laughs> I can buy an entire set of groceries just from the checkout lane. <laughs> <laughs> Yum candy bars and soda. Good oh, to go. Oh, God. If that's not like the most American thing possible, I, I don't know what. <laughs> Maybe some peeps if it's close to Easter. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, but uh, Joyce notices that the disinfectant is still sitting out. Uh, Dawn covers up for Buffy and claims that she was using it for nail polish experiments. Joyce leaves. Dawn expects some credit for being awesome and having Buffy's back. But gets very little of that. Yeah. Buffy does, however, let her in on the stab wound secret. <laughs> Only enough to leverage her into doing her chores. Right. <laughs> but first rule of stab wound club is we don't talk about stab wound club. <laughs> Second rule of stab wound club is Riley also takes over her other set of chores. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but she makes Riley promise to take the scoobs on patrol with him. Doesn't want him out there alone, which, you know, hey, if the vampire successfully stabbed the Slayer, maybe there's some need for caution. Well, yeah, Xander and Willow should be just fine, though. I mean, Riley, now that he doesn't have superpowers anymore, he needs to look out because she worries about him. He needs to take (laughs) Xander and Willow with him to make sure that he's safe. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And you know that his fragile ego is hating every second of it as well. Oh, God, yes. Oh, my God. This next scene is amazing, though. Um, (laughs) Dawn asks when she gets to go patrolling. Half past fucking never, Dawn. (laughs) (laughs) But next scene, Scooby's on patrol. Okay, I have some qualms here. Willow, Xander, and I think has Anya participated in patrol was Anya part of that? She has to have at some point, but not that I recall, honestly. For fuck's sake, these two, Willow and Xander, they know how to fucking do this. What the <laughs> fuck are they doing? Well, Riley's going all army boy out here. He's <laughs> he's going choo-choo-choo. <laughs> With the arm movement. And honestly, 
this is the first show that I have ever seen that calls that out because I've seen that motion, that gesture so many times in serious films. Yeah. Well, okay. Also, Ernest goes to jail. But <laughs> serious films. Who am I kidding? Ernest goes to jail is very serious. I cried several <laughs> times. <laughs> I fucking miss Jim Varney, man. Uh, they're you know like, what, I mean, what, the, what the hell does this mean? Huh? <laughs> what the the train thing it means yell really loudly at the vampires um do we know what it means like does it actually mean like go 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 because i think it actually means follow me oh Uh, rex is rex is googling it so we're we're gonna know for sure in just a moment because i know that like you know when they put like the one fist up i know that means stop Uh uh-huh but i didn't know like the choo-choo motion i just assumed that meant go 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 (laughs) Uh, it probably, I, my guess is going to be it either means go, like you said, or follow me, because uh, I think that was Xander's guess, and it's a pretty good guess. Cause I, okay, so it is the signal to increase speed, or go double time, or rush. Uh, okay. So it basically does mean choo-choo. So it basically does mean choo-choo. <laughs> That's it fantastic. Totally does. Oh. Uh. Oh We're my god, the things together. you learn on the internet. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I fucking it, love it's the internet. It's not all porn, kids. <laughs> I mean, it's still mostly porn. <laughs> I love the internet And so you can much. probably find some choo-choo porn. <laughs> if you, oh, somebody might still need to mix it with Buffy, but... Uh, the rule of the internet is, if it exists, somebody, somewhere, is masturbating furiously over it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh yeah, which reminds me, you know, I... I was calling you the politest person we've ever had on this show, but I had it on good authority that you can, and I quote, bring the filth. So <laughs> uh, we're counting oh on it. Who's oh your authority? I want. Uh, yeah, who is your authority? My authority is this British woman that I know. Her name is M, and she runs a podcast <laughs> called uh, Let Me Look It Up Real Quick. I, uh, real quick, I forget off the top of my head. Oh, it's verbal diorama. <laughs> Uh, I I actually switched to my Twitter tab for that joke. I don't know why. <laughs> I can I can indeed bring the filth. <laughs> Excellent. Anyway, and she, well, she is the one that just brought up that it's not all porn. Oh yeah, yeah. But if that were to be truly filthy, I think you would need to be making the argument that this has potential for porn. Oh yeah. Mm. Everything has potential for All right. porn. So, as Absolutely you were saying, everything has potential. Also earlier, uh, there's always room for improvement. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, after the little conversation that Anya, Willow, and Xander have about what the hell the fist pumping means. As they're casually crunching on potato chips. Yes. That was my favorite part. He's over here all serious army boy. Choo-choo! A quick pan to them crunch. What's he doing? <laughs> I fucking loved that. That... I didn't get the line, but that still might be my quote of the day. The, yeah. the crunch is is proper ADR'd crunch as well. It's like yes. really... Yes. <laughs> well, obviously, we call them crisps. We don't call them chips. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so it's really like... It's a really crispy crunch. Like, it's proper, <laughs> like, right into the microphone. And I love it. I love the fact that they are eating crisps, not chips. Yeah. It sounds like Michelangelo from Ninja Turtles eating the pork rinds in the Ninja Turtle movie. Oh, yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. that kind of crunch. It's very yeah. good. It's yeah. very massive. Um, that scene in that movie was the reason I tried pork rinds for the first time ever. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> and They're not terrible. Pork, 
just so you know, because I, I, you said that you were into uh, Britishisms, I believe pork rinds are called pork scratchings over here. Really? really? Yes. I, I don't like them. <laughs> I'm not keen. Uh, but I'm vegetarian, so <laughs> I mean, uh, I wouldn't be keen. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, the, but you no, guys he... also gave it the least appetizing name you possibly could. <laughs> well, Scratchings. I mean, that is generally just a, a British thing all around. It's like if you want to name something, then Britain will give it the shittest name ever. So <laughs> let's be honest. Uh, oh, apart from geez. verbal diorama plug, uh, that is an excellent name for a podcast, <laughs> and that's British, but that's the only thing. <laughs> yeah, it only makes me think of diarrhea every time. <laughs> don't even, don't go there. You're supposed to be picking me up. That's the pun of the name of your saying, podcast. You're supposed to be saying, oh, verbal diorama is the best, it's the greatest podcast ever, and yeah, it I'm also, supposed to be all humble, and I'm supposed to go, oh, well, stop, it's you're right those those things are true and it also makes me think of vacuuming a very large floor a vacuuming a large floor which is awesome but then you bring uh, up poo why (laughs) see for me verbal diorama it's a pun on verbal diarrhea no isn't it okay it it is no it it is you're right it is but you know don't bring up poo when you talk about my podcast so I'm not just being an asshole. I am being an asshole, but I'm not just being an asshole. Well, for right. me, for me, it just paints the picture of when you're nerding out about something and you just can't help but yammer on for an hour about it. I mean, and, you know, my darling, have you listened to my yeah, podcast? I have, actually. <laughs> I'm I'm actually oh, a little bit a little bit miffed that uh there's a few that you've a few episodes you've did of specific movies where I'm like man I would have loved to get in on that and oh, I can't I... now because you already did them oh, oh I'm sorry <laughs> well because I'm so my favorite Joss Whedon property is Firefly and so I listened to your your episode on Serenity yesterday and then also. The Rocketeer was one of my all-time favorite movies when I was a kid. So I listened to that one as well, and then a few of the Marvel ones, I think. Because I also agree with you that uh, Captain America the First Avenger is highly underrated. Oh, so underrated. And so and, and also a lovely um, double bill with The Rocketeer as well. Yeah, exactly, um, exactly. And who doesn't love Firefly and Serenity? I mean, come on, it's one of the greatest shows that Joss Whedon's ever done. Apart from Buffy, of course. Um, but yeah, Firefly is one of my faves, um, and yeah, love, love Serenity too. So I'm well. I'm I'm really glad you enjoyed yeah. them, and I'm sorry that I can't <laughs> retrospectively. I mean, I could retrospectively add you in, you know, if you give me, give me some, just, give me some just uh, his voice into the episodes, and I'll, I'll just like splice you in, and then I'll basically some Hollywood magic. I'll, I'll record myself going. Rex, what do you think? And then you go, well, actually, I think. Uh, no, we're just going to give you a recording of him saying, yes. And you just stick that in there every five minutes or so. I mean, I'd like, you know, things like, yes, you know, I agree. You're the best. You're amazing. You know, that, that kind of general thing. And I'll just I'll just slot them in into, you know, every episode really is, is what I'm thinking. <laughs> exactly. Oh, um, and before we get back to the episode here, I just wanted to clarify for all the listeners that the the joke about me thinking of uh, vacuuming a very large carpet when I think of M's podcast was based on a conversation we had before we started recording because I listened to most of her podcast while I was at work 
at an auditorium. And uh, so that's uh, that's the history of that. It's still my proudest moment. You know, I've had quite a lot of proud <laughs> moments uh, in the two years, two and a bit years I've been doing verbal diorama. But the vacuuming of a floor <laughs> is is the highest praise. I mean, that even, I mean, that even beats like, you know, becoming like a dame, you know, being knighted. I don't even think women can be knighted, can they? I don't know. But, you know, going to Buckingham Palace, you know, meeting the Queen, all of that. No, I don't want that. All I want is to be recognised when vacuuming a carpet. That's all I wanted. You make me think of vacuuming a floor. That's that's pretty good podcast, vacuum vacuum a floor. While I'm listening to it, that's all I need. Mm-hmm. I'm not in your room. I'm in the hallway. The hallway doesn't belong to you. Mom, I can stand in the hallway, right? My friend Sharon's older brother knows a girl who died because she choked on her boyfriend's tongue. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Back to the episode. Xander ruins the stealthy stealth with screaming, hey, Riley, over the length of the graveyard. You know, Willow thinks Xander is cool. He's like, I wish I were cool. And Riley's kind of like, you know, hey, stop scaring the fish away. Cut back to uh, the magic box. The magic box where Giles is doing some research on past slayers. She needs to find accounts of final slayers as battles so she can figure out what the hell she did wrong. She has aspirations of uh, essentially being a Cheeto. Pra- yes. Practically no expiration date. Uh, this is actually one of my quotes of the day. Uh, she says, I realize that every Slayer comes with an expiration mark on the package, but I want mine to be a long time from now. Like a Cheeto. Like a Cheeto. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, are uh, called yeah. Watsits over here, by the way. I was going to ask what they're called there. Oh. I wouldn't have. I figured that's a brand name. I didn't think there would be a different name for no, them. No, it's like you know, because I've been to America uh, a couple of times, and you know, you have Lay's chips. Uh huh. So yeah. they yeah. are called Walkers over here. So interesting. We have the brand. It's the, so exactly the same logo. It's just instead of Lay's, it's Walkers. Of course, the American version is the lazy version. Like zombies, Walkers. <laughs> Yes. So basically you open up the pack and you basically get like a random um, like zombie finger or something in there. It's like a little token. Yeah. And it goes, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and it and it eats your cheek. Yeah. I just, I lo- And you I have to lie that's... to your parents about it so they don't shoot you in the face. Of course. <laughs> no, I, I just think that that's, that's super hilarious because it's called Lays in the US and it's Walkers in the UK and like the joke is always that Americans are lazy. So in America, it's it's just lay there. Yeah. But and then in, in the UK, in it's the UK, it's, Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they have better infrastructure for public transportation they over do, there. They do, in so. fact. <laughs> so I hear. Anyway, I uh, wouldn't know. I've seen a yeah. lot of movies, though. Yes. Um, not as many as you, but a few. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Well, her, her whole point is that she wants to know more about how slayers died in in their final fight so that she could understand what it is that gets them killed Mm -hmm. did they misstep was it you know did they get overconfident or did they make mistakes what kind of mistakes is it things that she can avoid but the problem is once they're dead there aren't too many people left to explain how yeah. And it's too painful for the watchers, or at least for Giles, because, you know, he has empathy. I really don't have a whole lot of faith in the rest of the watchers' council. 
Um, yeah. I think they're more along the lines of like Buffy says, it's just a bit unseemly. Yeah. To, yeah. And also I think <laughs> to write about their as deaths. well, where Buffy's concerned, um, watchers never really have a chance, I don't think, to get to know their slayer because like Buffy says, slayers have an expiration date and it's usually quite quick. Yeah. Um, you know, even if, if you ignore all the cruciamentum stuff from season two, I'm thinking, you know, where Buffy has to go through the cruciamentum when she turns 18 and let's ignore all of that because that right. is just a clusterfuck. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I, I feel like a lot of the Watchers, if they did have an emotional connection to the Slayers that they were in charge of, they never really got to know that person because the Slayers always used to die so quickly because it was basically just, you know, one dies, another comes, that one dies after a short period, another comes. Buffy has always been different because Buffy has that um, emotional connection to family and friends and all of that, and that's what makes her unique. Um, but one of the things that when because i really love this conversation with giles and i mean i love giles um i giles makes mistakes through the show i'm never going to turn around and say that giles is perfect i mean anthony stewart head is i mean as i'm getting older i'm kind of thinking woo uh what a fox um but i digress giles is is not a perfect character he does make mistakes but nothing in this kind of relationship that he has with Buffy kind of at this kind of moment, every, everything about that is is lovely and perfect. And I love that he does care for her so deeply and that yeah. Giles is so honest with Buffy that it's not just unseemly, that it is because it's just too hard to talk about. But additionally, my feelings on why there isn't a more detailed explanation for all of these different Slayer deaths was presumably because the Watcher was not there when the Slayer died. So how does the Watcher know yeah. exactly what happened? Just from the bits of that we saw from the Watcher's Council uh, during that whole event with uh, the trial and whatnot, and the bullshit with Faith, and when Wesley was first introduced, the whole attitude that, the, that they have is definitely like, well... Here's another Slayer, the Chosen One. Let's throw her into the into the grinder. Yeah. And they're just like, oh, look, another one. Because <laughs> directly into the volcano. Because all of these young women are expendable. And that's that's the exactly. idea of the Watcher's Council. Why, why, why worry about it? There's just going to be another yeah. Slayer. Hey, you want a metaphor? There you go. That's yeah. the feminist metaphor of this show. You know, besides growing up, is that women are treated as expendable objects to be owned, not necessarily and people. Yeah. used it's, right that's awful and it's really sad that 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 was a statement that needed to be made 20 years ago and still feels like it needs to be <laughs> <Yeah>. made <laughs> it's been being made over and over again and and people just aren't fucking yeah hearing that's it. the yeah. problem is that how many times do we need to say the you know repeat these messages over and over for people to actually get how women are treated day to day because if they didn't get it 20 years ago (laughs) and it's like constantly being repeated like how many times do we have to repeat the fact that men see women as dispensable you know yeah and the watchers i mean the watchers council are dickheads really aren't they i mean there's no one apart from giles there's no one there i mean i feel like i can't really say too much bad stuff about wesley because he goes through a journey, and he's great on Angel. Um, I mean, he doesn't get 
to be a good character till after he tells the Watchers Council to go fuck themselves. Yes. So Wesley's a very flawed character. That's that's what's fun about him. Uh, but shall we? We, we shall digress. Uh, Carry on, please. Uh, so after Giles says, "Well, it, it would be too painful," and there's no one left around to tell the tale, Buffy has a light bulb moment and is like, "But what if?" Cut to Spike's crypt. We know somebody who knows about killing slayers. Spike! How about that? Kitty Spike, Kitty Spike, Kitty Spike, Kitty Spike, Spike! <laughs> so. This is the only reason that I'm here. Like, I'm not here to talk to you guys. <laughs> I'm not here to be on Beer with Buffy. Well, actually, I mean, I am, obviously. I'm only here for one reason. And? And? Spikey, Spikey, Spike, Spike. <laughs> <laughs> well there it is alright you can go I actually know you're stuck here forever so um, <laughs> so Buffy's in there like hey Spike I'm gonna twist your arm real gentle like cause I know you like it rough now tell me everything you know well she slams him against the wall and he's like ow oh wait not ow <laughs> <laughs> not ow enough <laughs> damn it twist harder <laughs> but she won't she buys him chicken wings and a but beer. Their conversation doesn't happen in Spike's crypt. It happens at the bronze. Did you get in on that, M? I couldn't tell. <laughs> no. All right, maybe next time. Maybe next time. I'm so, just thinking uh, you guys to anyway. do it because I feel like every time I interrupt you, it puts this episode back twenty minutes. So. Oh, that's no, you're, you're, not at all. You're fine. Uh, so. Back at the bronze, where shitty beer and chicken wings are the price of some decent goddamn storytelling. Yes. Spike explains that it's not about the moves, baby. It's about the mojo. <laughs> Hold on. It's not just beer and chicken wings. She has a wad of fucking cash. And a big wad of cash <laughs> that she may or may not tear in half and throw in <laughs> half of it in his face at any point in time. We know she's capable of yes, it. Yes, she's done it before. So, <laughs> my favorite line was... Were you born this big a pain in the ass? He's like, what can I tell you, baby? I've always been bad. Can I just say one, sorry, one thing. Yeah. No, go right As ahead. As the yeah. official British person of this episode, I feel like I have a moral <laughs> obligation to judge the accents on uh, display. No, I was, I specifically I, wanted to ask you how you feel about Josh's okay. accent. It's, it's no. bad, <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> I've been waiting for this. <laughs> So I often get asked when I go on other podcasts, they'll do like a, a British accent or a version of a British accent. And then yeah. they'll say, oh, you know, what was that like? And I'll be completely honest, nine times out of 10, it's usually pretty bad. Um, there are a lot of regional dialects here in the UK. Yeah, I mean, my... I don't think I have one. I'm from the middle of the UK. So I, I have a very kind of middle, Midlands accent. And I know, obviously, that James Masters is not British. But I didn't know that when He's I American saw him brain. in Buffy. So for me, uh -huh. when he speaks with his normal accent, I find it very strange because I'm very used to him with his American. And I feel the same about uh, Juliet Landau, who plays Drusilla as well. Oh, yeah. But... Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me started on uh, Angel. Oh, God. Oh, oh. I mean, I'm, I'm not Irish. But, you we'll know, I, that, that, that offended basically the whole nation of Ireland. <laughs> um, so if I was to be super critical of your Spike accent, I would unfortunately have to tell you, Josh, that it's really rather good. 
Oh God! You 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 had me on a roller coaster there. I was like, <laughs> oh, I feel like I'm about to miss out on a part that I auditioned for. <laughs> about to, and I was gonna be like, I'm having an off day. <laughs> Don't judge me. <laughs> no, it is it is okay. really rather good actually. You 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 get oh. Spike really well. Thank you. H- how is his Giles? Do the Giles for me. <laughs> Painful, I was going to say. But you're right. Accounts of the final battles would be very helpful. But there's no one left to tell the tales. That's not quite as good as the Spike. <laughs> but I think I think Giles's accent, because he's very kind of, um, very kind of Queen's English, um, you know, yeah, RP yeah. kind of, you know, all of that sort of stuff. He's also faking his accent he is. because yes. he's his accent is more like Spike's yes. accent, and he coached James Marsters in his accent. Yeah, and and James, um, and also I I generally prepare more for lines that I plan on okay. saying on yeah. the show. No. Okay, so, um, you know, it's just just kind of. I I have heard you say uh, a, a Giles accent before. It's it's certainly not terrible, but your your spike is really good. Oh, oh man! Well, thank you. That that like, is excellent to hear. So you can you can take that and you can dine on it for a couple of months. <laughs> thank you. Thank. You. Uh, well, now I'm I'm obligated to come up with at least one good compliment for you by the time we leave. <laughs> Uh, it's something something to counteract the uh, the carpet comments. The carpet, yeah. <laughs> Feel free to tell me if this next part gets a little too personal because I'm told I have boundary issues. But I'm a part. I am great and I am beautiful and I want to do all eyes turn to me because my name is a holy name and you will listen. But meanwhile, did we have anything more to say about this scene where he's asking for the chicken wings? No. Oh, uh, Spike does notice uh, that Buffy is injured. He doesn't bring it up, but he notices it. Right. Because I really liked his outro line here. What can I tell you, baby? I've always been bad. (laughs) Cut to Spike not being particularly bad. Yeah. In the old timey time. The flashy backy to the 1880s. Yes. My favorite time. It's the old-timey time, where a nerdy poetry writing, William the Bloody, gets made fun of by some 1880s pricks who really sealed their own fate here. Okay, uh, right out of the gate in this scene, though, uh, one of my quotes of the day from not Spike, but William. uh, William says to... I guess a waiter or a servant or I'm not sure. It, it was a server. I, uh, like they, it seemed like they had catering or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It was a rich people party. Um, but he, he says quickly, I'm the very spirit of vexation. What's another word for gleaming? It, it's a perfectly perfect word as any words go, but the bother is nothing rhymes. You see. And the server just looks at him like a deer in fucking headlights. Like, do you want a drink or not, dude? Like, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. I think that's rather out of my scope of work, <laughs> if you will. I do but, like the very uh, spirit of vexation. That that happens a lot to me. And and being completely oh, honest, I love that uh, phrasing. Being completely I honest, am the that very is, spirit of vexation. That is genuinely how we speak. You know, it's not. Oh, I'm so pissed off right now. It's oh, I'm the very spirit of vexation. So. Yeah, I liked that. That was. It felt like they were just trying to be old timey time, and they just went British, huh? <laughs> well, that's that's better. That I mean, British sounds old timey time to us. So yeah, 
Uh, I blame movies again. <laughs> so anyway, they're uh, they're making fun of poor old William the Bloody here. I mean, to be fair, they tried to talk to him about current events, and his answer uh, was, "Oh dear, oh bother! I shouldn't rather deign to fancy on such wicked, wicked trifles. Why should I ever, when I can dream of kittens and unicorns and ladies' ankles and shit?" William is uh, very, shall we say, smitten with this woman. Uh, Cecily? I, Cecily. Cecily. I wrote down it in, wrote it down in my notes and I can't read my own fucking writing. Well, no, I think, genuinely, um, um, just to kind of say for another Britishism, because I know you're loving all of these Britishisms I'm coming out with. Um, yes. Because the, the name um, Cecil, I believe, is pronounced Cecil in America, I believe. But we call it Cecil. So it would be Cecily. Yeah, you are correct. So not Cecily. I very rarely hear the name. I don't think I've ever heard it outside of a reference to the movie uh, Cecil B. Demented. Yes. Um, I've, I've heard it. Of course, I've also worked with a lot of old people in the last four years. That would do it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Old timey time. Right. Got it. <laughs> anyway, so they're making fun of him. They're like, ah, what a twat. They mock his poetry. <laughs> And he decides to go get some comfort from his dearly beloved C- Cecily. Is that what we decided on? Cecily. 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 <laughs> Cecily. I'm saying Cecily. <laughs> so, um, and oh dear, oh me, oh my, this was also not a good decision. No, it uh, it pointedly backfires on, on William. Uh, she asks if the poetry is written about her, and he hems and haws. Well, you see, Mr. the Bloody... Because you have awful poetry, you see. There are two types of people in this world. People who have class, and people who spend an eternity murdering those who spited them when they were nerds. (laughs) (laughs) And I see you, Mr. the Bloody. I see exactly how dreadfully basic you are. (laughs) 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 And that's where we get this iconic quote. You're beneath me. Yeah. Which hurts Oof. to the core. It's really However, mean. he was kind of being a nice guy here. A little bit. A little bit. A little, a little bit. presumptuous. So I, um, I have a bit of a take that I'd like to run by you, if that's okay, on this particular scene. Please yes. do. Um, yes. So the whole thing with William and Cecily, I think if you look at it like... You could just be looking at it in the sense that she is being a complete bitch, which, you know, that's one way I think you could look at it. I kind of look at it that she is a woman in the 1880s. And we've already talked about yeah. how women are portrayed and how women are used, etc., uh, etc. Et but yeah. women in the 19th century didn't have a great deal of option when it came to relationships. And I feel like... You could look at Cecily and say that her behaviour towards William is very much like based on social constructs of the time because women were expected yeah, to marry for money. And clearly, William is not a wealthy man. He's in wealthy society, but they seem to just make yeah, fun he, of him. He, he doesn't seem to be... He's not dressed in the same way that they're dressed. It strikes me that he's very bottom of the barrel as yes. far as the social standing in this room goes the yeah. bottom of the top giggity. yeah <laughs> yeah exactly so i feel like yes cecily the way she treats him it is awful it's abhorrent you know no one deserves to be treated like that but 
maybe she's kind of thinking, oh, I'll be cruel to be kind and just, you know, let this guy down with a thud rather than gently. I, I was just going to say, I think it was the best thing for him in the long run. And I was amazed, uh, kind of impressed, actually, that she had the balls to say no, because I bet there's, you know, if we think there's toxic masculinity now, <laughs> I can't imagine what it would be like, the amount of fear that a woman would probably have to say no to a man in the 1880s, even a supposed nice guy like William the Bloody yeah. seemed to be. But that's that's the interesting thing, is you see a nice guy, you see this sweet gentle poet, um, you know, come into this room and try to talk to her. But the first thing she says is, leave me alone. Yeah. She actually yeah. tells and him to he leave her doesn't. alone. And he doesn't. And then he sits down. It's like, yeah, it, as exactly. soon as I saw that, I'm like, God damn it. No does not mean maybe or yes. It means fucking no. Exactly. So, you know, it's like, yeah, he's a nice guy, but he's not doing what she asked. She even tells him to stop. You know, to stop talking and... He's already disrespecting her boundaries right out of the gate. Exactly. She turns her back on him. She turns her back on him. She does not want part of this conversation, yet he still tries. You know, she's giving all of the right signs to say, I'm not interested in this conversation. I'm not interested in you. And I think every woman should have the absolute right to turn around and say, "I, I don't want a part of this. I don't want to talk to you. I will turn my back on you, you know, because, I mean, that's really the only thing a woman can do in the 18, uh, in 1880. But I really do think that's quite important because I think you could look at this scene and say, well, she's just being a complete bitch. And she is being mean. Absolutely, she's being mean. But she's being mean for a good reason. She doesn't want to lead this guy on. She doesn't want anything right. from this man. This man has nothing to offer her. So she's absolutely it- within her rights. It's the same no. grounds that uh, when a woman walking down the street gets catcalled and they don't respond and they're just they basically just tell the dude to fuck off right away and that the dude gets all offended and everything. It's like no, no, like that's exactly what she should do because hundreds of assholes like you constantly hit on them. Yeah, don't like, reward that kind of behavior. Basically, William, after being told that he is beneath her, storms off, crying into his poetry papers. Happens to bump into Angelus, Darla, and Drusilla. Well, just Drusilla. Well, yeah. I, I mean, did we did we see like a back shot of the other two? Yeah, yep. they're oh, all, yeah, three, they're all, all walking there. back. Um, oh, okay. I only remember seeing Drusilla in the alleyway, um, who is now a vampire. Yeah, and she needs herself an effulgent man. Yes, or you know, oh, at the I very least, it. one who knows what that word means. <laughs> Someone with oh. the imagination to take out as many of these posh fuckers around them as possible. <laughs> I love Drusilla. Love, She's love really her. fun. Yeah, and, and the thing I love so much about Drusilla is this scene really encapsulates what is so great about Drusilla, and basically this whole episode. Uh, Uh Because Drusilla is as crazy as a box of frogs. Let's be honest. (laughs) Um, And whoever was in charge of writing the script for Drusilla, I have to give them 100% credit where they came up with the sort of lines that she comes out with. I think think Drusilla is absolutely marvellous. But what I like so much about Drusilla, especially in this moment, is that Drusilla is a hunter. Yeah. Drusilla knows what she needs to do to get this particular piece of prey. And I think it links quite nicely into everything kind of links quite nicely into the the Angel episode Dala as well, which 
Which we're just about to watch um, for next week's episode. Uh, so careful on the spoilers. Yeah, it's- obviously not not going to spoil anything for Dala. Okay, but, cool. Um, I I really like that there's there's a lovely link between the two, but it mean it's a link that you don't necessarily need to know. So you don't need to watch Fool for Love to understand Dala and vice versa because they're completely independent stories. Right. But they have this particular link between these characters, which I really like. But where Drusilla is concerned, she knows what she has to say to get this man on board. So she knows that the way to get what she wants is to tell him what he wants to hear. She's also got the sight. So Exactly. She tells him exactly what she wants to hear to to get what she wants from him. I I mean, I, I love the whole kind of Spike and Drusilla thing. I think it's really, really fascinating. I like Buffy and Spike a lot more. Um, but Drusilla is a really, really underrated character one thing that i would wish more in the buffy verse in general is more drusilla i would really have loved drusilla to be to have returned kind of in the later seasons perhaps as a big bad i would have loved that because she's so unstable and she's that would have been neat oh i i still wish it i if i could go to like an alternate timeline and remake buffy with everyone the same, I would bring back Drusilla as a big bad. I'm still surprised that it took them this long to bring her back, and they're still only bringing her back in old-timey time right. instead of uh, real time, you know? Yeah, yeah. We got so much of Drusilla being essentially barely more than an invalid, you know, when she was really weak and incapable of doing anything and just a crazy person that Spike was burdened with, practically. And that, like, that kind of characterization underplays the the character that that is there. Yeah, I think. And like when she, you know, regained her power, so to speak, you know, we, then we got nothing from that. Like there was no payoff to no. to watching her go through that. And like I think you're right. If she had come back as a villain later, as another big bad where she, you know, was more capable, still crazy, still really, really loopy, but, like... And completely unpredictable. Like, you would never be able to predict what Drusilla would do. Exactly. I just think it was such a missed opportunity. I'm still so sad about that. But, yeah, I I really enjoy this scene for so many reasons, but I think it really summarises that William, in this state... Because he's going through, obviously, some emotional turmoil, he will literally do anything to feel something yeah and i think that's quite important you know he's vulnerable he wants to feel uh he wants someone to feel the same way that he feels and he thinks that drusilla does because yeah, she says she, she, she plays him she <laughs> yeah, plays she him absolutely like plays a fiddle him. yep only needed one little word to get to him and coincidentally she also happens to be a bit peckish <laughs> so uh, she takes a bite my favorite part is his response. Spike, the eternal badass. <laughs> ow, 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 ow. <laughs> hey! <laughs> that really hurts. One of the things I really like about that, though, is if you look at how people... I mean, obviously, people have died of vampire bites, just generally. I find that the way that William dies is quite fascinating, especially when you look at Spike going forward because William dies upset aroused and in pain 
And I feel like Ooh. that really shapes the character of Spike. That yeah. he feels like all of those things are become quite kind of intrinsically linked to his Spike persona going forward. Um, because he's emotional. So he dies. He dies emotional and he continues to be emotional. Any, va- that- any other vampire that we see, like if you take... Sorry, I'm just going off on one now. If you no, take, for example, the like 80s vampire at the start that we see... Um, mm-hmm. That kind of proves that vampires don't really evolve after they're made, generally. Because right. he's exactly right. the same dude that he was, you know, in 1979 or whatever. But Spike has that level of evolution. Um, and I think it's to do with William. And I think it's to do with how William died. I have, like I say, I have theories. But yeah, no, that, he dies that's... upset, he dies aroused. So there's there's always this uh, this link between sex and death. And yeah, if, it's, if it sets your body eternally as a vampire when you get turned, why wouldn't it also set your state of mind in a sense? Yeah. I mean, your state of mind comes from your brain's physical state at the time. I don't know. We've, you know, we've tried to break down the... <laughs> like, the logic of vampires breaks apart really fast when you try to think about that sort of thing. Right. But. It's probably something to do with the fact that who sires him. Possibly, well. yeah. Because he he isn't just sired by Drusilla. He stays with Drusilla. They they yeah. essentially become a couple. So he mm-hmm. is, um, you know, he has that influence in his life as as a, a new vampire, so to speak. You know, that is yeah. his kind of major influence. So. Oh yeah, and he gets all wrapped up in her shit. They're the definition oh, yeah. of codependent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, absolutely. They are not a healthy relationship, but then healthy relationships in the Buffyverse aren't really a thing, so... (laughs) Yeah, they really aren't. (laughs) Not inaccurate. I will always be here for you. And you've got Mr. Giles and your friends. Believe me, there's nothing to be afraid of. From here, we cut to the graveyard where some sneaky sneaking is still going on. Uh, Scooby's on patrol, uh, following the hairband douchebag to a nest of vampires. He, he's a punk vampire. Punk, my punk. bad. I mean, he kind of had long hair. Man, punks can have long hair. I thought you. I thought you were correcting my term, douchebag. Oh no, no. All right, whatever. He, I mean, he's a vampire, therefore douchebag. Insert musical <laughs> affiliation here. Douchebag vampire <laughs> is followed to a nest of other vampires, and uh, there are just too many. So coming back in the morning, no shame in that. Yeah, apparently. that seems like if you're gonna kill a bunch of vampires, why not do it where all you have to do is walk outside and you're fine. Exactly. You know, <laughs> unless they're wearing gas masks and uh, black trench yes. coats and gloves yes and driving a very dark van or you know in in uh spike's case putting your coat over your head or just throw a blanket with a bunch of holes in it over <laughs> your head and just run for it you got this <laughs> um so back to the bronze yes spike explains that being turned into a vampire was a very profound and powerful experience for him so he decided to change the rules of how he lived but first he needed a gang I mean, I feel like the gang was kind of built in when yeah. Drusilla sired him, but... Well, it's... I think the the fact that he's like, oh, I needed a gang, and the way he says it, I think that's enough to tell us that while we are seeing the truth of the flashback, what he is telling Buffy is not accurate. 
So Buffy is not getting what we're seeing. Flip side of that, though. No, I think what he means by that is while he had a group, they were very much of the mind. We might as well cut to the next scene here. Coal mine in 1880. Yes. Where Spike's arguing with Angel over uh, having social finesse and keeping their heads down versus just fucking having a blast and getting into as many fist fights as you goddamn well feel like because you're an eternal immortal vampire. What else is there to do? Well, and it showcases the difference between Angelus and Spike as vampires where Spike is a brawler. He's Which, a fighter. Yeah. He, he's there for the challenge where, where Angelus is, you know, he's a hunter. He's maniacal. He plays with his food, so to speak. Like, That's he, true. He's... I was going to say, I wasn't expecting this out of Angel because he seems very much an agent of chaos, similar to Spike, but he likes being completely 110% in control of that from the background. Yeah, he's subtle. He's subtle. Yeah. Spike is is not subtle. Spike wants to just jump in and fuck shit up. Yeah. While screaming the whole time. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Which I think is why I like Spike more, because that's probably a lot more how i would be because i don't like stealth games i like first person shooters i like to bust (laughs) through the front door and fuck shit up (laughs) i wonder if there's a kool-aid man video game i need to look that up i'm sure there is i'm sure there is if not it wouldn't take that much to actually like just put a kool-aid man into any video game right yeah i'm gonna do that i'm gonna do that yeah so this is when spike actually learns of the slayer Although he learns the details of the Slayer off screen, this is the first hint of what the Slayer is. Because Angelus is like, oh, well, yeah, you you think you're such a badass. Wait till you meet the Slayer. Aye, maybe the Slayer will teach you someday. <laughs> oh, God, it's <laughs> so bad. Purposefully. I'm just making fun of Angel's shitty accent. Oh, um, it's so bad. I actually, I uh, do you know who Chris O'Dowd is? I um, love Chris O'Dowd. Of course Chris I know O'Dowd's, who Chris O'Dowd is. Uh, yeah, because, you know, from the IT crowd. The IT yes. crowd is one of my favorite damn uh, shows ever. And I've watched several other things that Chris O'Dowd has been in. And he's my real icon for an Irish accent. So I didn't I didn't actually write down any Angel's lines here, though. I'd like I kind of want to say them in a in a proper Irish accent that ain't that. David Boreanaz isn't absolutely massacring. <laughs> I don't know why they made the character Irish. Like, I really don't know what their thinking was. Um, I, th- I think they didn't think it through at all no, is what they, they did. <laughs> and they wanted to differentiate it. And David Boreanaz had seen too many children's serial commercials and said, I can do the Lucky Charms accent. Look at me. <laughs> And that's what happened. I honestly I mean, think that's what happened. I, they probably are like, oh, let's make him Irish. And then they're like, oh, well, shit, the guy we hired can't do the accent. No, I'm fairly um, certain I heard him in an interview say that he was he went Irish because it was the only accent he felt vaguely comfortable attempting. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. So <laughs> you know how bad he is at singing. Imagine him being that bad at any other accent times 10. <laughs> that was the best he could do (laughs) oh my god and if you uh am maybe you can weigh in in on this but i think he got noticeably better at his irish accent after doyle was on the show yes absolutely Uh, because he got shamed (laughs) it was like oh that's what it actually sounds like 
Whoops. Yeah. Well, it's oh, pro- yeah, probably a lot like how uh, Anthony Stewart had uh, coached James Marsters for Similar. Spice yeah, I'm accent. sure he got quite a lot of uh, coaching built into uh, working with him. And, and also, he was friends with... Uh, Crap, I can't think of his name, but the guy that played Doyle outside of the show. They were personal, close friends. Yeah. Anyway, back to the bronze. Yeah. So, yeah, Angel's like, hey, maybe the Slayer's going to teach you someday. (laughs) (laughs) And Darla and Drusilla are standing back with glee that the men are fighting. And Spike is like, what's a Slayer? Cut back to the bronze where he explains that he was from that point on obsessed with the Slayer. Uh, He didn't even run from her. He, in fact, sought her out. He said, I mean, if you're looking for fun, there's death, there's glory, and sorrow else, right? I was young. And then he Mr. Miyagi's the shit out of Buffy by sneaking past her and grabbing her while vamping out. Well, the, the point he makes is the thing that sets apart a vampire from the Slayer is that vampires have their weapons built in. They come pre-equipped, so to speak. That is correct. Uh, where Slayers, they don't have that. Sure, they have strength, but they still have to reach for a weapon, and that is mm-hmm. a weakness. Yes. And it's it's a very valid point. You know, it just makes me think. You you should always know where your towel is. <laughs> <laughs> no, we close this scene. He says, become a vampire. You've got nothing to fear. Nothing but one girl. That's you, honey. Back then, it was her. Cut to China. Back then. Hmm? Cut to back then. <laughs> Old timey time in China. During the Boxer Rebellion, whatever that is. So I actually looked this up. I had not heard of the Boxer Rebellion before this. And I looked it up. And so basically my like five minutes of reading, mind you, like barely, uh, the Boxer Rebellion was when a bunch of Chinese people essentially ousted all the foreigners from China. All the people who were in China... Mostly the English and their, you know, oppressive empire and that sort of thing. But they ousted all the foreign people. They're just like, get out. This is our country. Good to know. So that's why there's pandemonium in the streets. Everything's on fire. And we get this big epic fight of Spike with the Chinese slayer. And we learn that this is where he gets his scars. Oh, I didn't notice that part. Uh, Fun fact. Yeah, she cuts him. She could see Fun fact, though, those scars on James Marsters are real, huh? and he got them from a mugging in New York when he lived in Queens. Oh, shit. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't call that a fun fact. It's an interesting fact. <laughs> <laughs> no, one likes, no, no one likes to be mugged. It is not yeah. fun. <laughs> Do not mug people. It's not fun. I mean, it's probably fun for the people doing the mugging, I guess. I don't know. I've never done it. But it's not fun for the victim. Sure. We believe you. <laughs> <laughs> and so we I love the way we close out the scene. The slayer dies in his arms saying, "Tell my mom I'm sorry, but she's speaking Chinese." And Spike response is, "Sorry, love. I don't speak Chinese." <laughs> Oof. So, I have a question. Okay. We know, well, first of all, we know that Spike is an unreliable narrator. We know yep. that because he has basically bigged up the William the Bloody name and we find out it's because of his bloody awful poetry and oh, all of that. Right. So he has basically controlled his own narrative um, and he changes his own narrative to suit the situation that yep. he's in. So if Spike is the narrator of this scene, how does he know what the Chinese slayer is saying 
to essentially translate it for the audience, whether that audience is Buffy <laughs> or whether that audience is us. How does he know what well, she's saying? Well, I think the flashbacks that we're seeing are the truth because that's how we learned that he was lying about the reason he's called William the Bloody or somebody yeah. got it inaccurate at some mm -hmm. point in time. And I don't think the storyteller of the flashbacks as we are seeing them is necessarily Spike. And it's too bad, I think, that we're not actually hearing how he's telling it to Buffy. Like, I feel like we can only assume that this is a rare case where he is giving her a completely accurate depiction of the account um, but it is not yeah. necessarily him telling these flashback stories and that would explain why we're getting the subtitles of what she's actually saying what i always like is, is times like these when you have have a circumstance where you want to show the audience the truth of what's happening but you want to show that the person narrating it is unreliable i love when they do that where you see the truth and what happens, but the voiceover is outright lying about what's happening. Yeah, and I think if they had wanted us to know that he was lying about these narrations, they would have done that. And I think we can assume that he is, for a change, being reliable because, A, they don't do that, and B, one of the main reasons this episode exists, besides backstory for Spike, is uh, to move forward the love story of Spike and Buffy. He's... Mm -hmm. falling head over heels hard for her and i think he actually wants to help her become the best slayer ever he's giving her the information that she needs to best him he's giving yeah. her his everything in this episode this is probably the most genuine we've ever seen him absolutely yeah when i say he's generally an unreliable narrator what i mean is is over the course of, of what we've known of him, um, I do think he is being genuine in, in this episode in but particular. But absolutely, based, um, on, I mean, he based does... on his history, you're absolutely right. He's a manipulator, and he would never, ever say the absolute truth, not if he could get something else out of it yeah. um, by lying. Yeah. He's the king yeah. of lies. I mean, he, he does... He, he is, and he does tell Buffy the, the whole... When even before we get his backstory as William, he does say, you know, he does do the line, "What can I tell you, baby? I've always been yeah. bad." When actually we find out, no, he hasn't always been mm -hmm. bad. Um, you know, yes, you like I say, you could argue that some of the things that he does as William are questionable, but otherwise, he's not a terrible person. He's not evil. You know, um, he's he's basically bigging himself up to Buffy in that moment, but. The flashbacks that we're getting are genuine. Maybe. Uh, and you, you have to believe that. Maybe are. the flashback cut out the, the last of his line. Maybe his line was really, I don't know what to tell you, baby. I've always been bad at poetry. <laughs> <laughs> I also think he was. I mean, that I is think true. he was just being cheeky on his lead in. Right. Uh, it's like, you know, drinking some warm milk before you go to bed and saying, What can I say? I'm a rebel. <laughs> 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 and I think he's got that perfect kind of sense of humor that oh, he yeah. would do that. Oh, yeah. So after killing the Slayer, uh, enter Drusilla, things get a bit erotic between them. What? You know, apparently murder and, and fire and and the world burning around them is very sexy to yeah, the undead. They, they get all moist over the Slayer's aphrodisiac <laughs> blood. 
Drew sucks on Spike's bloody finger nipple. They, uh, <laughs> and then they saunter, pleased looking into the panicked masses on the streets. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but um, whenever I kill a slayer, <laughs> I often feel like, you know, like I need some. Like you need a bloody finger nipple. <laughs> well, let me tell um, you, as long as you have fingers you... and a dead slayer. <laughs> If you look at Slayers, historically, in this show, Faith summarises it perfectly in season three. She says that slaying makes you hungry and horny. Yeah. So that is, you know, vampires and Slayers, they are essentially two sides of the same coin. So it makes absolute sense that if a Slayer can feel hungry and horny after slaying a vamp, that a vampire can feel hungry and horny after slaying a yeah, slayer. Yeah, and I mean... Makes complete sense. Yeah. better myself. I mean... Holy shit. Damn. There it is. Although when you when a vampire slays a slayer, it gets the hunger part right out of the way. So, <laughs> you know, at that yeah. point... <laughs> Just go straight to the, the bloody finger you know. sex. <laughs> <laughs> Unless, of course, he snaps her neck and kills her that way, like yeah. he does with the next one. But we'll get there. Uh, I do have yeah. one important thing to point out here, but like, if, so if you if you're a vampire with another vampire and you're like, hey, th- this murder has just turned me on, let's have sex. Do you think maybe you would want to do it in a building that is not on fire? Like, <laughs> like I imagine having sex would be rather distracting, and maybe just maybe the fire will kill you. Have you learned nothing? from Spike in this episode, Rex. (laughs) The possibility of dying is part of what makes it amazing. So also, basically, what we're getting from this conversation is that Rex has never had sex in a building on fire. And you know, I never have. Because obviously, (laughs) Em and I both have. Not together, I'm obviously. I I mean, don't don't tell everyone our secrets, (laughs) Jesus. That was between you and me. There it is, everybody. She brought the filth. Oh, you win this episode of Beer with Buffy. What does she win, everybody? Well, Uh, nothing because we can't mail things to you. Yeah. (laughs) I'd have been happy to give you that Keanu Reeves coloring book. I I know you were interested in it, but then uh, oh, I already we have tried that. sending a we tried sending a T-shirt there, and it was a whole clusterfuck. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sending stuff abroad is is like horrendous. Drink. Can't see why we're only eleven pounds for one thing. I got quite a few demons out to me these days. It's blood. So Drew sucks on Spike's bloody finger nipple. <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> Drew and Spike saunter out, pleased looking into the panicked masses in the streets. And they brag to Angel and Darla immediately. Angel seems a bit jealous, but also accepting of Spike now that he's killed him a slayer. He's like, hey, we've all killed a slayer, haven't we? <laughs> I killed a slayer just a couple of weeks ago. Didn't you know? <laughs> I like I like I'm so sorry, Em. I was debating whether I was gonna do it or not. You're not Irish. What do I care? <laughs> Fuck them. You're not offending me, you're just offending every single Irish person in I the mean, world, have, so have you heard enough of our episodes to know that I've done that like a million times? <laughs> so Do you have listeners in Ireland? We do. Uh, if we not, do, then question. Oddly enough, 
Do we what? We do have listeners in Ireland, actually. Do we? Yeah. Those poor bastards. <laughs> I think that every time I see it. Um, I do like the 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 canonicalness of Angelus being as much of a party pooper as Angel is. So, like, uh, the inclusion of a soul is not what made Angel a party pooper. He was just always a party pooper. <laughs> He's just a drag. He... Okay, so I thought in this scene, and maybe I apologize if I'm incorrect, but I thought this took place after he got his soul. No, no, this is well before that. Oh, yeah, he does not have a soul yet. There's all kinds of jumping oh, okay. around on the old timey time timeline. It gets a bit what year are wibbly we wobbly and timey wimey, yeah, if you will, because they're they already on Angel a couple okay. episodes ago showed us after he gets his soul, and then they jumped back to just after he'd been sired. So they're all over the place. Oh, okay. I apologize. I'm clearly getting yeah. No confused. worries. He definitely doesn't have a soul yet in this scene. No. So, do do Angel's a bit jealous, but accepting of Spike now. And they all gleefully and triumphantly and in a perfect slow Mobius badassery strut. Well, they strut yeah. <laughs> off through the streets in the night. <laughs> and the, I got to say, this scene gave me chills. Yeah. I was uh, like, oh, so I, good. This is one of those visual scenes that has stuck with me for years and years from when I first saw it. And it, it's one of those that it, it exists in my mind outside of the episode. Like, I, I didn't actually know that it was from this episode. Right. But it's always been in my mind. Anytime I think of the four of them as, like, evil vampires, this is the scene that, that always pops into my head. Yeah, just Spike jumping up onto whatever the shit that was he jumped up on and jumping off in slow motion. Like... And then his very next line is, that was the best night of my life. And I'm like, yeah, that was the best <laughs> night of my life. <laughs> Just watching right now. <laughs> but yeah, Buffy's disgusted with uh, Spike getting off on killing the Slayer. Ugh. And, you know, Spike is like, no, come on. Don't fucking lie. You get off on it, too. <laughs> like... Come on. Good point. It's like killing is fun, <laughs> apparently. Oh, come on. I'm evil. It's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> See, you're, I'm I'm never going to stop doing the spike accent now whenever I can because you told me it's okay. <laughs> you you have my permission to do the spike Excellent. accent. And, and as we as know, as like. I'll get better at the Giles accent. And as we know, since we've met one British person, <laughs> she is a monolith for her entire culture. That's how this <laughs> <Yes>. works. <laughs> Yes, I speak for all. So Spike points out to to Buffy in this scene where he tells her that she'll be fighting hordes of undead forever. And all it takes is for one of them to have one good day and she's done. Which is true. This is a very valid point. And, you know, it's, it's very poignant in that, like, the punk vampire from earlier happens to have been having a good day and he managed to stab her and she was having a bad day yeah it's really just a ticking clock it's not a matter of if it's like being a, a motorcyclist it's not a matter of if you're gonna wipe out it's a matter of when you're gonna wipe out yeah and same thing with a slayer she's already lived way longer than probably any other slayer oh yeah and they, they make a point of saying that many times mm -hmm. in this episode and previous and future but uh Spike to kind of goad her into getting rough with him, I guess. He decides to poke her wound 
And this activates his chip, of course. Well, he's making the point that she had a bad day. And he's like, oh, yeah? Well, how did this happen? Poke. Hey, stop it. (laughs) And then lesson two happens outside. But first, back to the other crypt where the vampires were nesting. Yeah, where uh, Riley is a dumbass. I mean, he got the job done. Well, okay. He's a dumbass for going against the smart logic of coming back during the day. He is, however, quite brilliant at bringing a grenade to a steak fight. That was a hell of a grenade. Oh, yeah. I want to say it was... Was that couldn't have been a normal frag grenade. That had to be, had to have been some I, sort it, of... I mean, it's, it's a Hollywood grenade. Yeah. But... Because you don't get that much explosive power out of any grenade... That well, I know also, of. Also, real grenades, je- unless they're incendiary grenades, they don't actually like make fire. Right. They're they're concussive plus shrapnel. Yeah. They're, they're more of air pressure and not so much of smoke and fire. Because I was wondering if maybe a flash grenade would have more of an effect on them because they're very photosensitive. But huh. I don't know. I, it looked like it was an incendiary grenade because it blew I the mean, place the if, fuck up. Honestly, if you're going to use a grenade on vampires, I think you'd definitely want it to be incendiary. And he, of course, would have access or, you know, have stashed some of those away because he's military boy. Anyway, yeah, yeah, that was a lot about grenades. Cut to the bronze. (laughs) Specifically in the back alley of the bronze. And back and forth between a subway train where Spike is fighting the 70s Slayer. I love when they do this in anything where you have Spike narrating the fight as he's sparring with Buffy and that you're cutting between the sparring with Buffy and the fight between him and the Slayer in New York. At one point they break the wall between the flashback and the modern time so that like flashback Spike is talking directly to Buffy. Yeah, that was really neat. I I loved how they did that. And there's a, a good amount of cohesion between the choreography of him and Buffy fighting and him fighting the past Slayer. Yeah, it's it's perfect. The, it's perfectly done this scene. For the most part, Buffy does well with fight scenes and being able to keep track of what the hell is going on in scene where like a lot of modern Hollywood stuff has quick cuts and you can't actually tell what the fuck is going on in a fight scene. Yeah. Uh, and Buffy doesn't have that problem for the most part. But this particular fight, the movement and everything is phenomenally done. Oh, I love it. I am a huge fan of fight choreography in general. It's something that I talk about on my podcast a yes. lot. And that's mainly because fight scenes in, in film and TV, they're not really fight no. scenes, let's no. be honest. Because you don't fight like that. Well, I mean, I don't fight like that in real life. I'm a proper star. <laughs> but um, in real life, you don't tend to fight the way that they fight right. on screen. Um, you know, a great example is something like the Princess Bride and the sword fight. Yes. You don't you don't generally tend to do that in real life. Um, and really, fight scenes are... They are like choreographed dances. And one of the things I love about this episode in particular is the fact that Spike refers to what is happening, you know, what's happening between him and the Chinese Slayer, what's happening between him and Nicky Wood, and what's happening between him and Buffy is a dance. And and this this whole scene with Nicky Wood, I mean, we don't know her name is Nicky Wood at this point, to be fair, but 
I mean, spoiler alert, her name is Nikki Wood. <laughs> and um, she is, I mean, first of all, it's, we've not even mentioned that the two slayers that we see in Spike's past, I mean, they are women of colour. I think that's that's important in many respects. Yeah, I think it's important because it's depicting women of colour in Buffy, which is something that we very rarely see. Um, I think you can also look at it that it's depicting women of colour in perilous situations. Also, I'd like to point out real quick, just thought about it, all four other Slayers we've seen, okay, with the exception of Faith, who would be number five, have been women of color. Yeah. The first Slayer, yes. um, very African. Yes. Black yeah. African, and, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, Kendra. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Jama- Jamaican? Yeah. Something like yeah. that. Yeah, Jamaican. Think, and then these two, of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, it's it's... It's really fascinating, actually, the whole kind of, you know, looking at all these past slayers. But what I love so much about this scene, it is it is one of the greatest individual scenes. I mean, I love this episode. I don't know if you've guessed. <laughs> I adore this episode for its entirety, for the fact it's a single self-contained story. You don't need to know anything about Buffy the show or the characters to really, truly appreciate what you're seeing yeah. on screen. That's the first thing. Uh, l- lesson one. That's lesson one. Uh, lesson the lesson the second is um, the the whole scene, the editing, the execution, the choreography, everything about the scene with Nikki Wood is so perfectly executed, and the fact that it works so well with the character because Spike sees what he's doing as a dance. Yep. Uh, he doesn't see it as a fight, and that it it downplays his emotional connection to those Slayers which I think is really important because to him, and going back to the whole link between uh, sex and love and death and all of that kind of thing that, that is kind of very key to the characterization of Spike and also the characterization of Buffy, to him, this is foreplay. Oh, yeah. He, oh, you know, the, the, this, is, this is just him having fun, you know, getting his rocks off. This is something that he just loves to do. The sexual gratification that he gets from killing a slayer is the death of that slayer. That's, mm-hmm. that's basically his orgasm, yeah. in a way, if, if you kind of get no, my meaning. That, totally agree. You know, when he kills the Chinese slayer, he has sex straight after. When he kills Nikki Wood... Literally, like you, you can tell just how much gratification he's actually getting from snapping her neck because he doesn't drink from her. It's not about the blood; it's just about the death. Yeah. yeah. Because sex equals death equals you know all of these things that go on in Spike's head. It's just a really interesting allegory to the the sex and death themes that are so prevalent, not just in this episode but in the whole of Buffy. Because Buffy isn't a show that really deals with sex. In, in, in its entirety. It does in season yeah. six. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, but I I love the metaphors in this episode. I think they're so, so well done and just really in, you know, entice me to this character of, of Spike, really, even more than right. I was before, to be and honest. That's, that's a great segue because uh, lesson number two, basically I'll sum up real quick this scene. Uh, his point is that every Slayer has a death wish. They want to... Yeah. Uh, to end the eternal dance uh, to get peace and then he tries to kiss Buffy and she yeah. looks revolted and he's like oh come on baby you know you want to dance and then uh, her <laughs> response one of my quotes of the day she says say it's true say I do want to it wouldn't be you Spike it would never be you 
you're beneath me. Oof, twice in one episode. Ugh. Woof. And and it's it's really fascinating Ugh. as well. I mean, maybe I read too much into Buffy. I don't know. You you guys tell me. But I feel like Buffy doesn't want to admit that she has a death wish. This is a character that's already died. Yeah. So technically, I mean, she she's already she's already gone through that experience of death. Uh-huh. But I think she doesn't want to admit that she has a death wish because that would mean her admitting the attraction that she has to Spike. Yep. Okay, I have a counterpoint here. Okay. Um, I think Spike's assessment that he killed her and the previous Slayer because they had a death wish, I think that is wrong. I think Spike is completely wrong about the motivation of Buffy, and I think he's wrong about the motivation of the other Slayers. What we don't know in this episode is that Nikki Wood has a son. Yes, she does. And so she, in this moment, she's not, in fact, ready to die. Spike just had a good day and she had a bad day. But I think the Slayers get to a point where they've had so much success that they start to lose their fear of the fight. And it's not a death wish. it's, It's a type of arrogance. Okay, I never saw it like that. And I think because I know what's going to happen at the end of the season, I think that makes more sense when you consider what's coming. But I appreciate what you're saying now in the moment. If you take what we know so far, that's really, it's really difficult talking about Buffy retrospectively in that sense, because you always look at what the whole story of Buffy actually is uh, and what what will come uh, in the future. Well, I think the whole point of his lesson here, telling her that she has a death wish, is because it was a very subconscious death wish for the other two. Not necessarily that they wanted to die so much as when you spend so much time killing and you've killed so many things. I can't say people because they're vampires mostly and demons, uh, but you be, you that is your life, killing things, and you start to become overly obsessed and fascinated with that and it just kind of sucks you in not so much that they want to die so much as their subconscious just can't stop thinking about it and it trips them up into letting it happen okay i think that's a fair assessment i think that's where he's going with. i mean i can't say i've had many death wishes so i can't say i have experience in the field and i've never been a slayer so well obviously Um. i have um i'm long since retired but just adding the credentials to the list here yeah (laughs) um so anyway this scene closes out with after buffy says you're beneath me she throws the wad of money at spike at least she doesn't tear it in half though right like he can actually spend that money at least and the oh my god the look on his face as he picks up the money oh my god the way she's scattered this money all over him while he's laying on the ground all vulnerable like a two dollar hooker on a bad night she may as well have said money's on the dresser clean yourself up you make me sick yeah that was kind of the visual that they were going for and i think it caused me to have a little too much sympathy for spike uh the the whole expression that you get from him here is all about garnering sympathy and um she made him cry yeah he cried <laughs> he's emotional that that is spike spike is full of emotion he, is. he always has been and he always will be 
So like, you made my spikety spike cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Spike in his emotional state is like, oh, okay, fine. You want to be that way? I'm gonna, I'm gonna finally kill you. And he goes to his crypt. He loads up a shotgun. Harmony unsuccessfully attempts to talk him out of going and killing Buffy with it. He, he's like, oh yeah, sure. I'm gonna have hours of of head pain over it, but she will be dead because I will have just pulled the trigger. Which should last longer than two hours. Right. Keyword should. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we flash back to South America. I think that's where, what it said. South America 1998. Where we finally actually get to see his breakup with Drew. Yeah. And the slimy, slimy demon that she is now dating in place of him. Yeah. And wasn't there... Doesn't this even fit... It was pretty much the last time we saw Drew on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And he mentions she's seeing this demon. I forgot yeah. to look up what kind of demon. Uh, yeah, but I can't remember exactly. Like a mucus demon or something along those lines. But anyway, yeah, no, I, I loved how they kept it uh, canonically. Uh, what's the word? Um, I don't know what percentage this goddamn hard coffee is that you bought me, but it's fucking... I am pretty far gone from just one of them. I, I'm pretty sure it's only like 5.5. I can normally think of words, M. That's, I just lied. Um, <laughs> on the air. I'm sorry, everybody. So, anyway, I, I promise it's canonical. This happened back when that happened with Drew, yes. when she pretty much left the show. And uh, so he's talking to Drew, who sees who's still seeing this weird gooey antler demon, and she can't even look at Spike because he just reeks of the Slayer. And uh, this all just reeks of the foreshadowing. Yeah. Because she has foresight. She, in fact, does. Of him and Buffy. And she's like, I can't even separate the two of you. All I see is you and Buffy and blah. There's so much foreshadowing in this episode. Yeah. For an episode that is quite self-contained, there's so much foreshadowing to the future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Continuity. That's the word I was looking for. Canonical continuity. Hmm. Mm, that's a good word. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh God, I was gonna make a foreskin joke to go along with foresight, but I'm not gonna do it anymore. Um, <laughs> that's because you're in the presence of a lady. I assume. Exactly. I don't know who I... that lady is. I mean, if you find her, let me know. I'd like to meet her. I've never met a lady in my life, lady. Um, <laughs> cut back to Buffy's house where Joyce is informing Buffy that she'll be staying at the hospital she's getting a cat scan Morale. Um, she's gonna be fine though Buffy seems unconvinced Buffy wanders out onto her back porch and she's crying with her head slumped down in her lap on the back porch Yep. cue Spike with a shotgun yeah he walks up like he's gonna shoot her and then he just can't bring himself to do it and then he tries what? To give her a little bit of comfort and a particularly awkward pat on the back. Standing there with a shotgun, intent on murdering her. What's wrong? <laughs> Is there something I can do? <laughs> Gerarg. Gerarg. Is this for me? I must be ready. I need my strength. strength. Give, give, give me more! Nights I shall give, walk in give, here. Give, 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 give. Hold on. You've got something here. I think I think this scene is so lovely. And I know he's got a shotgun and he obviously intended to kill her. <laughs> but 
Um, taking that aside... You're not wrong, though. I really like the fact that not only is he able to empathise, this is a vampire. This is supposed to be a, a demon without a soul. And I think we forget yeah. that when we talk about Spike because he is such a an interesting character and, and he, he is quite lovable in a way, but he is a, a being without a soul. And yet he's still capable of empathy and understanding and the ability to comfort someone. And I think that that really shows that the connection that they both have, because not only does he comfort her, even if it is a bit awkward, she allows him to do that. Yeah, that's true. And it's not even the first time that we've seen him do this. Just last episode, I think it was just last episode, Family, when she's fighting the invisible demon in the back room yeah. and he's there just to watch her die and he's like oh salt it and helps her fight them anyway yeah okay time to pull that pin so here here is my you actually kind of touch base on it already m here is the question is how could spike be in love because he can't he's a vampire without a soul he can't be in love the thing i've been struggling with this season is they're trying to portray this gray area between Spike being in love with Buffy and Spike being obsessed with Buffy. I think Spike thinks he's in love with Buffy, but Spike is actually obsessed with Buffy. And he thinks he's in love with her because he doesn't understand the difference. And he's not capable of understanding the difference because he's a soulless vampire. But he's going through specific motions that he is familiar with mm. as these represent love. But those motions are also painfully informed by the, quote, love he felt as a human. If you think about the whole episode from that angle, you see that the whole conversation that he has with Buffy at the bronze, it's all manipulation. Every bit of it is manipulation of he's trying to convince her that she feels things for him. Mm, thinks that he's seeing or thinks he's seeing that aren't necessarily really there exactly and that culminates in the scene when he tries to kiss her where she's visibly disgusted by it the look on his face is he's just shocked that she doesn't want to make out with him like how they've been fighting that's just foreplay right all of his his ideas of what's going on in the in this whole episode are completely fucking wrong and, you know, that comes to the last scene where he walks up like he's going to kill her and she's sad and he awkwardly tries to comfort her. It's not him awkwardly trying to comfort her. It's him legitimately not able to comfort her because he doesn't have a soul and he doesn't have the real emotions to have that kind of empathy without it being manipulating to an end goal. Hence why it looked like he might as well have been petting her with a stick. Yeah. Going there, 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 there. The whole point of how Spike has thus far been shown in this season and will continue to be seen, seen in this season with uh, episode coming that I'm both looking forward to and dreading, but all of it just builds to this why he ends up turning around and going and getting a soul is because he realizes he's an unfeeling soulless monster and he needs to fix that. But for now, he is still that unfeeling soulless monster. Like, Is he though? 
and yet, and yet he's still capable of a small enough amount of empathy to recognize that he doesn't want to kill her anymore. Her emotions overrid his. And I think that's all that really matters in this particular scenario. I agree overall what you're saying is that he's probably very much confusing love with obsession, but he's still got a lot more going on than most other soulless vampires. I I I agree with you both. Yeah, I, I want ways. I really do want to hear your take on on this. Well, just real quick, I was going to say, and I think that probably stems from what you brought up earlier. M was where he died upset and emotional yeah. about a woman. Yeah, and. I'll let you go ahead and take it from there. Honestly, I don't have that much to say about this episode that we haven't already covered. And you both are just blowing me away with insights that I'm just over here like, ha, bloody finger nipples. (laughs) 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 I wish I thought of bloody finger nipples. I'm jealous. (laughs) So I agree partially with what you say, Rex, in the... I do believe that Spike is incapable of true love at this stage. And I think he is just obsessed. We can see from previous um, encounters with Slayers that he has this history with Mm -hmm. chronic obsession. Um, He was obsessed with the Chinese Slayer. He was obsessed with Nicky Wood. He was obsessed with Drusilla to a certain degree as well. Um, He has this intense obsession with certain women um and i think now he's obviously moved that obsession over to buffy and i do genuinely think that he thinks that it's love because of the experiences that he's had with love he doesn't really know what love is and i do think you know looking forward to a future episode where he decides that he is going to get a soul and that he's going to do that for buffy because he wants to basically be a better man for her. That's kind of his his thing. He doesn't want to be seen as right. this, you know, beast. He wants to be seen as a man. And that's something that kind of comes up, you know, later on in, in, the, uh, in the show. But he wants Buffy to treat yeah. him like a man rather than, you know, Spike. Um, so I, I, I agree to the extent that he doesn't understand love. I do think he's a character that does understand empathy to a degree. I wouldn't say it's a traditional human level of empathy because at the end of the day, he is a vampire. And before he was chipped, he would kill any of the Scooby gang, like if he had opportunity. The only reason he can't... I'm I'm sorry, I I hate to interrupt, but don't you mean when he was crisped? (laughs) 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 I'm a bad person. Oh (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Oh, uh, I hope I didn't throw you I too far Can I deny this uh, guest appearance or is it too late? Like, uh, can we turn back? <laughs> it's a little too late. Oh, damn it. Okay. Um, yes. So, as I said, when he was crisped, um, he, he, had, he had no qualms about killing anyone because he was a vampire and that was the point. Um, you know, and there, there's kind of many jokes in the show about him being neutered um, you know, since he's been crisped. I am going to use that now going <laughs> yeah, forward. Thank you. <laughs> um, you can have it. It's all yours. You're welcome. <laughs> um, but I, I do think he understands to a degree more. And I think that stems from 
who he was before. Because if it, if it, if that wasn't important to the character of Spike to see the character of William, then we wouldn't yeah. be seeing William. So they want to set up Spike in a certain way, and I really do feel they want to they want the audience to understand who Spike was before he was Spike. And the only way to do that is to understand William. Um, and I, I, yeah, I do think I do think he has empathy. Um, but yeah, it, he is he's a conflicting kind of confused character in his own right. But yeah. I think that's why the fandom love him so much, genuinely, because he he's not as straight laced as Angel. Uh, he's not as evil as Angelus. Well, for but he's fuck's not sake, he's not angel, a buzzkill so. like Angelus and Angel. <laughs> <laughs> he's a wild card, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And he's hot. He's really hot. <laughs> he's really sexy. I mean, Every, I, I mean, I can't say every woman because that would be a sweeping generalization. But uh, the whole bad boy turn good. I mean, it does it for me. Absolutely, it does it. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I'm no, a huge he's fan. Super endearing character. I think he's probably... Yeah across the board one of few characters that i've never heard anybody dislike yeah I've never honestly. heard anybody go i don't like spike i've heard people say i don't like buffy i like yeah. the show but i don't like buffy i've never heard anybody say they don't like spike yeah you're right i've never heard that either yeah so i mean that's not exactly a double blind closed test there with placebos but right <laughs> <laughs> From my completely non-objective perspective, there. Yeah, I. So I think we can all say that we've all, all three of us loved the episode. Mm-hmm. I don't think either Josh or I love it nearly so much as M. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sorry. <laughs> well, Nor I, should you be. I think we made absolutely the right decision having you on for this episode. Yes. I, I can't think of anybody that could have said it so succinctly or lovingly as you did. And I, I know you think that you need to be edited a lot, but you don't. No. You are very <laughs> articulate. And I am so glad that we've had you on this podcast. Um, and thank you so much for sticking around with us as long as you have. If you can bear with us just a few minutes longer, um, we can just wrap things up. We uh, we still have to do quotes of the day. Yeah. And uh, But before that, in honor of Verbal Diorama... You know what time it is, Rex? What time? It's time for an obligatory Keanu reference. <laughs> yes! Which I hope you prepared, Em, because I didn't. I did. No, I did. Of course you did. I did. Oh, thank God. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Tell us. Yes, okay. what is the obligatory Keanu reference? So, um, well, for anyone who is listening and thinking, what the fuck? I mean, I, I think that about my podcast all the time, but... Um, <laughs> One thing that I like to do on Verbal Diorama is I like to try and link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves. Um, a lot of the, the links are quite tenuous. Like, sometimes they make very little sense. Um, and so I thought about an obligatory Keanu reference for Buffy as a whole. Um, because it I can't really link it to Fall for Love uh, specifically. But what I can do is I'm actually going to link it to another season five episode. Season five, episode one is Buffy versus Dracula. And obviously mm-hmm. Buffy yes. took on the master. Uh-huh. Well, not the master. That was season one. I mean, the master of vampires in general, Dracula. And obviously uh, Keanu Reeves starred in Bram Stoker's Dracula back in 1993. He played Jonathan Harker. 
I'm assuming that the Buffy version of Dracula is completely aware of Keanu Reeves because obviously they work together, you know, all of that long time ago, but not for Dracula because he's immortal. Yeah, so, he would have to be. Um, <laughs> and obviously he looked different back then. He looked like Gary Oldman. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, I mean, I think that's a pretty perfect link between Keanu and the Buffy verse as a whole. I'll take it. Yeah. Thank you. Also, I mean, it ties in perfectly with Beer with Buffy. Again, I'm not entirely sure how many of our episodes you've listened to, but we kind of sort of founded the Church of Keanu Reeves, yes. or the cult of Keanu Reeves, if you will, uh, a couple of seasons ago. Uh, specifically, I think it was uh, our episode Keanu Aid. That is correct. Uh, that is also where we... Is that is season three, episode 10. That is also where we started doing Kool-Aid Man references yes. every time somebody bursts through a door or a window. <laughs> <laughs> or on rare occasions, fucking literally through a wall. Yes. It does happen <laughs> on the show. And uh, no, Honestly, that's one of the things that just cracked me up the most about... So Josh introduced me to your podcast, M. Uh, and you thought, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I honestly, I love it. And it, what cracked me up, though, is finding out about the Keanu reference when <laughs> like that's something that you did all on your own. And our love of Keanu is completely separate of each other. And it's just it's phenomenal. And our I podcasts are approximately the same age. Um, you just hit 100 episodes not too long ago. We're only slightly yeah. over 100 episodes we're cohorts. Yeah. We are... We're, we're like twins, basically. Yeah. We've, we've all got this love for Buffy as well. Exactly. Um, you know, in another life, maybe <laughs> we maybe Beer with Buffy diorama could have been a thing. It could um, have. Maybe. maybe. Who knows? I mean, what do you mean in another life? We just did it. Yeah. I, this... I mean, I mean in, in its entirety. You know, like talking <laughs> oh, sure. about Buffy in its entirety. Um <laughs> But yeah, obviously the the beer with Buffy diorama train has rolled. It started rolling, and I don't hope you realise now that I am going to be hinting a lot more to come back. I'm actually <laughs> oh. might I, I actually might beg. I'll be completely honest. Um, to come back onto our show. Yeah. Oh, unless absolutely. I'm not allowed. No, that, no like, it's fine. No, it's, no, it's fine. No, clearly, and, and, clearly and I'm, I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you this now. This has been outrageously pleasant, and I would love to have you back on the show. That being said, one per human. Get out. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Oh wait, wait. You're assuming she's human. Oh shit! I am so sorry. <laughs> that that's, was so um, condescending of that, me. That's discriminatory against my. Alien race. <laughs> All right. Well, so to, to the if if that was you asking us if you can come back to the show, well, that is an excellent question. Thank you so much for asking me that. And the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. M, what is your quote of the day? Oh yeah. Did you pick a quote of the day, M? Um, well, you didn't ask me to, but luckily I have I have some choice quotes um, that I have in my notes. Because I love the delivery of it. I'm going to say, what can I tell you, baby? I've always been bad. Oh, damn. That was going to be mine. <laughs> oh, <Okay>. no. <laughs> now I have to pick another one. Good good choice, though. Good yeah, choice. Yeah, excellent. All right, Josh, what's your quote of the day? Just off the top of my head, another Spike line. 
I mean, if you're looking for fun, there's death, there's glory, and sod all else, right? Yeah. So I'll just go with that one. Okay, so my quote of the day is actually a two-parter between two characters. It's when Spike is not yet Spike, but still William the Bloody. He says to Cecily, I know I'm a bad poet, but I'm a good man. All I ask is that, that you try to see me. And she replies with, I do see you. That's the problem. You're nothing to me, William. You're beneath me. And I picked that quote solely because, like, man, if that is not the uh, the old English way of saying, but I'm such a nice guy. Yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> what it felt like. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And actually, I want to change my quote of the day. Um, my other one can be... Uh, um, uh, honorable mention. Honorable mention. Uh, but my actual quote of the day here, I'm changing it uh, to where Spike was talking to Buffy and he says, it kind of sums up one of the larger points he was making throughout the episode. And he says, and we just keep coming. But you can kill a hundred, a thousand, a thousand, thousand and the enemies of hell besides. And we all and all we need is for one of us, just one sooner or later to have the thing we're all hoping for. And that would be what? One good day. That is my quote of the day. Can I just um, can I just quickly point out as well the quote that you had before your uh, your runner up quote uh-huh. about uh, there's death, there's glory, and sod all else. Yeah. Um, I have always questioned because twice in this episode the word glory is mentioned. So Drusilla says earlier, she says, oh, I see you, a man surrounded by fools who cannot see his strength, his vision, his glory. Mm-hmm. And then Spike says, there's death, there's glory, and sod all else. And obviously, I th- I, I mean, I, I don't know if it is foreshadowing to a certain character who's coming very soon. Right. Um, but I, I think that's really interesting that I, I picked up on that uh, with my rewatch. I'd never picked up on the fact that glory is mentioned twice. Yeah, I wonder... Ooh, I'm, since we've yeah. got Glorificus going on. Yeah. She's wheeling her way throughout their, oh. all their brainwaves or something. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe, Glory's, maybe, maybe. Glory's one of my favorite villains. I absolutely adore her. I just think she's wonderful. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to getting into that more uh, in upcoming yeah. episodes. Okay, sure. so this has been another episode of Beer with Buffy. Uh, our special guest, M from Verbal Diorama. Real quick, Em, if you want to give some information about where people can find you and your podcast. I would love to give people information. Uh, I'll be completely honest. That's the only reason I'm here, to give people information (laughs) so they can listen to me. Shameless Uh, plugs, do it. (laughs) But no, I I just want to say, first of all, to you both, thank you so much for having me on, for allowing me to wax lyrical about my favourite TV show and literally one of my favourite episodes of my favourite TV show. Uh, It's been a genuine honour and a joy to be invited on and for you to just let me go and and let me talk. It's been absolutely marvellous. I've I've just had such a wonderful time. Um, So thank you so much, first of all. Um, And second of all... absolutely um, welcome and thank you. Thank you. And if anyone who's listening is interested in me and my British voice and, you know, common <laughs> references to things like Watsits and Walker's Crisps, then they can follow my podcast, uh, which is not about snack foods, unfortunately. Um, but it is, uh, it's a podcast called Verbal Diorama, and it's all about the history and legacy of 
movies you know and movies you don't. So yeah, that, that's what I like to do. You can find me in your podcast app of choice. So you can find me on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Verbal Diorama. Um, and uh, you can also find my website, verbaldiorama.com, um, where you can find links to all my episodes and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but it would be an absolute delight to speak to any of your listeners about Buffy. Um, and it would be an absolute delight to speak to you guys again about Buffy, uh, especially, uh, you know, going into these later seasons, because I'll be frank, season six is my favourite season of Buffy. I mean, so. it's season six. It's Let's fun. be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Dark Willow. Is- Who can say no to Dark yeah. Willow? So this has been Beer with Buffy. As always, you can find us on Facebook, Beer with Buffy. You can find us on Twitter, at Beer with Buffy. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do so on your social media of choice. You can also send us an email, beerwithbuffy at gmail.com. You could send us a voicemail or text message at 269-743-0783. If you'd like to support our podcast in the easiest best way possible you can do so on itunes give us a review and if you do email us that review and we'll send you a free sticker if you'd like to support our podcast financially you can do that with patreon.com slash beer with buffy links for all this stuff is in is on our website beerwithbuffy.com where you will also find our store if you want to get some merch uh, beerwithbuffy.com slash shop As always, special thanks to JJ Treadway for transition music. Again, Em, thank you so much for joining us on the show. And thank you again for having me. It's been uh, an absolute delight. I have loved every second of me talking (laughs) about Buffy. (laughs) And obviously you guys talking as well, I guess. This has been Beer with Buffy. I'm Rex. I'm Josh. And I'm Em. Keanu Speed, Em. And he only speak to you both. Reeves be with you. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. I make allowances for your years, but I expect a certain amount of responsibility, and instead of which you enslave yourself to this this cult. You don't like the color? <laughs>